Hey y'all, it is Trent Knox. This is the Austin Live and Local Podcast, live from the ATX, Season 2, Episode 13. Our guest today is Smack Ola of the Dirty Worms. This is a Part 2 episode from a previous episode that we had with him uh, in the studio. Some of the, the audio and video was lost from that episode. We got uh we got a full setup. We're calling in with him and we're going to have an awesome conversation about an upcoming show about the state of hip hop in Austin, the growing population of Austin and 
what that means to the future of hip-hop. We got a lot of topics to cover, and it's always a great conversation between myself, I mean between Smackola and myself. Let's get it started here. We're going to give him a call right now. Cool. So how's it going? I mean, I, I've been anticipating bringing you back on the show. The last episode we had, we we had some technical difficulties and we lost the video and portions of the audio. And we was talking some good shit, too. I know, because once we got in past that that uh, that 30 minute mark, we were getting into it. Brian had a lot of a lot of deep industry subjects to pertain to you. And then we ta- started talking about big things. But yeah, man, how's it going? What's going on? Oh man, I'm I'm doing good. Just you know, as far as life could be. Woke up to the bad news of Aretha Franklin. Rest in peace, Aretha Franklin. Oh wow, I hadn't caught that yet. Yeah, man, she just passed away. So another musical great. That's one of my. My mom was one of my is, is my biggest musical inspiration, and Aretha Franklin was the second, and mm. then Michael Jackson. Mm. Was it a uh, natural? Or was there some sort of anything? Was it natural? Like a natural death, you mean? Yes. Well, she was old and she had been battling with, I think, cancer or something for a while now. Oh, okay. So it was something that's uh, been coming, you know? Yeah, so she was in the, she was in and out of the hospital. and Yeah, uh, she was just came. in the hospital a couple of days ago. And then she got out, I think, a day or two ago, which was cool. But I already kind of knew, like I could feel it. Like I think she's out just to be at home with the family when she mm-hmm. passes. So, yeah, man, it's one of those things, man. She was a for anybody that never really checked out Aretha Franklin or listened to her, like you should really go and peep her as far as just a musician. Like, but there's differences, you know. Me and you talk about that all the time. There's rappers and musicians. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's like I. People would call me a rapper, but I consider myself a musician because I'm into the production side of it, the musical side, the whole thing. You know what I mean? Not just me rapping. Yeah. So it's just different. But yeah, she was a great man. Shout out to her. So now that uh, now that she's passed, where does her uh, where does her catalog go? Um, Is she? I don't know. Was she working on an album? Her family owns it. Hopefully. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure they don't own the earlier records, but I don't know. I never really kept up with that as far as, but, uh, I mean, there's very fortunate people in the music business that came back and bought their catalogs. You know what I mean? Like a Jay-Z, Michael Jackson, you know what I mean? Like those guys, mm-hmm. you definitely knew about it. Cause they, those were long battles. Prince, you know what I mean? Uh, so I'm not sure if she owned her catalogs or not or her later music i'm sure she did with her later music i'm sure but i don't know what does it take to to purchase your catalog back that seems like a pretty heavy burden yeah it does i mean well it all depends on your relationship with whoever owns it (laughs) you know i mean if they're willing Mm -hmm. to sell it you know the person that signs you or the person that owns it pretty much you know i mean yeah, and a lot of them have made so much money back off you that you know they'll give it up. Oh, you want to buy your first album back? Okay, three million dollars. I think Jay Z bought his first album back for something like that. That's wild. Uh, I was hearing that uh, I watched Joe Budden on his one of his podcasts. He was talking to T Pain, and and somebody was offering him like six million for his catalog. That's fucking low for him. 
Yeah, right. like a lot of, especially since he's still in the active stage of performing and making songs. I mean, and this the this days, you know, back in the days, like a James Brown's days, that probably would have been a lot, but mm-hmm. you know, but yeah, that's kind of crazy. That's that's a little low, I, I would think, for him. And I think that we're also talking about the dream. The dream was uh, also relatively in the same area, and he was like saying certain things, like, um, like it was just the dreams catalog, not necessarily in reference to, you know, the Beyonce albums or other albums uh, that are included in his like writing or production, right? So did he sell it, or are you saying he bought it? No, I don't think they sold them. Oh, he sold his catalog i don't think i don't think the dream actually sold his catalog uh i think that he was being offered a similar um amount of money like t-pain yeah 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 yeah. except it wasn't for like it wasn't for his him and his collaborations it was for his particular yeah strictly his catalog yeah and and i guess the the conversation was like versus hits t-pain has the hits you know uh, and so six million dollars for hits is kind of low. Yeah, that's that's pretty low for that. He has a lot of that. So. But sometimes they get you because we lost you. Let me see what happened here. Let me redial, redial him. Lost you there for a second. Yeah, yeah. Are you there? Yeah, we're here. Yeah. So let's get into it. Let's talk about the show. Uh, it's, uh, it's what's the date? The 26th? 24th. Friday, 24th. August 24th. Yeah. Friday, August 24th. The Dirty Doomsday Show. Mm-hmm. At... Come and take it live. Come and take it live, yep. All ages. We're doing it like how we came in the game when, when Dirty Worms, when we first came in the game, we were doing a lot of that all ages over there at the back room. That's actually the old emos that's next door to where we're performing. So that's kind of cool. You know? But yeah. So when should we were talking... Real, should be a real good one. When we were talking yesterday, we... We got we got into it kind of deep, and we were thinking about you've been in the game for twenty years. You got twenty years of experience over. Well, I got, all... I've been in the game longer than twenty years, but my first published album came out twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, f- f- for over twenty years, you've been in the game. What is what has kept you, you know, going? What is that thing that has really pu- pushed you forward or propelled you forward? I don't know, you know, really when hip-hop hit me, I just I fell in love with it. And it took me a while to actually start making records because I was always the type of dude, like I just wanted to be a part of the squad or the team. So I never was trying to be the guy. You know I mean, I just wanted to be in the groups. And uh, it was just, I don't know, man, it was just the love of doing the music. You know what I mean? I really, really just like it. You know what I mean? And 
that's what I just decided I wanted to do. Like I was going to make music and I just focused all my attention on that. And I didn't really look back at all. And I think when we were talking, I was talking about that. Like sometimes I think about it and I look back and I go, woof, that's kind of scary. Like, you know, but just having that fearlessness of really doing it. But I sacrificed a lot to do it. And I don't mean like sacrificing animals or some shit like you know like how people talk today when they're like oh you sold your soul you're Mm -hmm. sacrificing your soul no i mean i sacrificed a lot as far as i could have went out there went to college you know um there was good job offers i passed up because if i would have took those jobs though i couldn't have did music Mm -hmm. it was like i had to pick like okay you want to get that job and yeah, you could be driving a Beamer in about six months, man. You could be doing real good. You know, it was like, you know, when you're thinking of things like that, and then it was just like, man, but I really want to do this music. And so I was just, you know, I slept on floors, ate ramen noodles. Like, if you look early on in my career, I looked a little pudgy. That's because all that ramen noodles, all that fucking saccharin or whatever the fuck is in that shit. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, just from eating that, you know, and just trying to make music and just, you know, so when I look back at all that stuff, it just... I really don't know what it is. All I can all I can attribute to is just the real, true passion of being a musician. Because you always hear that story with musicians. They're just we like to be on the road, gone, doing music, and we're lost in the in the moment when we're doing our music. You know what I mean? It's just like nothing else is greater than that, or something. You know what I mean? It's just like that's our thing. You know? So I can't really explain what it what it was because there were so many things. You know what I mean? It was my mom was a singer, so when I started going on my musical journey, I was trying to impress her. I was trying to make her proud of me, just seeing me do it, especially when when you're young like that. Most people are kind of going, no, nah, you need to do something else. That's almost, you know, that's almost an impossible thing to do. It takes a lot of luck, and it takes a lot of this, and you're, you're going to go through a hard time, you know. And uh, But, of course, I didn't listen, and here I am. You're different than a lot of hip artists, hip hop artists, in the fact that you are a true musician. What was the first instrument you picked up and began playing? The first one I started dabbling with was a piano, and but I I just wasn't good at it. I just not to say I wasn't good at it, but my attention I don't know I was just in the Star Wars and weird shit and Friday the Thirteenth movies and shit, so I couldn't really concentrate. So then I went from that to drums, and I always just messed around. But then it was funny because when I was in high school and I was playing in the marching band, I always played my own beat. So we're, we're marching, and the teacher's like, no, you got to play it like this. And I'm always playing something else that was funky. You know what I mean? And so she would let me do it because it still was on time. It was all these, you know, it was, it was on time. It kept the band on time. And... I don't know. People just loved it. So I always just, I always was like that. You know what I'm saying? And um, just dibbled and dabbled, man. And I wanted to be a DJ. And, you know, so I just went through a bunch of phases. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, uh, but my one greatest, I would say, thing of doing as a musician is songwriting and being, um, I was always known for my hooks. Everybody was like, come to me like, hey, man, make a hook to this. They would always be like, you, you just can come out with a hook like it's nothing. So I'd always, that was just my, that's probably my greatest musical thing, I guess. Songwriting. 
Mm. Do you still have your, your first song you ever wrote? I actually don't, and I wish I did. Because back then I had it on like those little cassette tapes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, man, I, I sure wish I had it. But one of the first songs I ever wrote was a song called Roofless. And I wish I had that. And then I did another song called Teenage G. <laughs> and then I had one called uh, Ticket to the Boneyard and Dropped on the One. And I had that Dropped on the One for a long time. And then I, lo- I ended up losing it. Mm. But because uh, they were all on cassette tapes. And I'm sure if I look hard enough, I can find one that they're floating around somewhere, you know. Um, but this was way before internet, way before any of that. So, yeah, you know what I mean. Like, I've been doing this a long time, dude. There was like stages of it, you know what I mean, where like you're watching hip hop artists and you're like, man, you're trying to emulate them, you know what I mean. Now you're trying to find yourself. Now you're a battle rapper. Now you're, you know what I mean? So, uh, but I, I just think um, me having all those elements on early is what really shaped me into doing what I'm doing mm-hmm. or to being an actual artist. Like, I didn't just start off being like, oh, I'm going to be a rapper. I started off being a B-boy. I was a break dancer. You know what I mean? Mm. And I went from that. I tried to do graffiti, but my shit was just whack. You know what I mean? Uh, and then I went from that to being a DJ. And because I wanted to be Jam Master J, everybody wanted to be Jam Master J. I wanted to be Jam Master J and just scratch behind the rappers and do all that. And then the rappers that were rapping at the time, they just didn't do it right. And I was like, no, nah, you got to you got to do it like this. and You got to say it like this. You got to face the crowd and be like this. You know, what I mean, they just didn't know how to perform on stage. You know, what I mean, so then I transitioned from that to performing on in the front. And with a group of people and then it just by the time everyone kept dropping off, I would say, or realizing this wasn't their true passion or whatever it was. Or sometimes life circumstances just changed up things for people where they couldn't do it. You know, what I mean, and then there I was. I was just standing out there by myself and then I just kept going. You know, what I mean, mm-hmm. so that's a big transition, I guess, uh, from being a supporting uh, artist to being the front man of a band such as the Dirty Worms. Uh, did you go through a lot of different phases before you became the Dirty Worms? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like I said, like I was a DJ, then I became a rapper, and I was rapping with a group, and then I liked I liked being in the group because I only had to concentrate on one verse mm-hmm. per song, you know what I mean? So it was a lot easier the tension didn't have to be all on you. And I just like the mechanics of the whole group moving, you know? So by the time, um, the record we were speaking of is called major players that came out 20 years ago. So that was me and my man Diz money. And, uh, it was crazy. Cause Diz was like this super producer dude, fucking genius, man. He was making beats and shit and just, you know, nobody in our area was really doing that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, so I was getting down with him. And then prior to him, I was in a group called Gangsta 2 Productions. And it was me and Jermaine Monroe, Jay Love. And he was like the popular guy in high school. He could rap. He could do all that. So me, I was kind of shy a little bit because I knew I could rap, but I didn't think anybody could think I could rap. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so when he heard me, he was like, no, nah, man, you got it, man. And he was like a senior in high school, so he let me hang around. So I was basically like the... 
showing up at parties and I was the secret weapon. Mm. Like, you know, we'd get in rap battles and then here I come and they'd be like, yo, this kid right here got all kind of crazy flows and he's just real sporadic and just, you know what I mean? So I, that, that was my kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So as I moved, as I moved up and we did all that from Gangster 2 Productions to major players, um, as I was working on major players, I was in the army here at Fort Hood and my son died. So when my son passed, I was like, okay, I need to, I need to really do this music full time. So I really just, that propelled me because I felt like I had no choice, you know what I mean? Because I felt like an ass, you know what I mean? I felt like, okay, and now if I don't, because I just remember the baby mom yelling at me, you're always in the studio and you're, you're never going to do this and that and, you know. And I was around a couple of guys at the time, and we were always at strip clubs. And mm-hmm. But truly, deep down, I was wanting to be in the studio and do it. But, you know, I was doing what my friends wanted to do, too. Mm-hmm. And so during this process, I always be like, man, let's take it to the studio. We're, we're doing, we got all these songs. Let's take it to the studio, to the big, and, and record this and really get it going and put a record out. Because you got to remember, I was already making records with major players. So by the time I was over here, in Texas, they really, they were playing with it a little bit. You know what I mean? They weren't really that serious. Mm-hmm. So once my son had passed, that's when I was like, okay. And I was in the Army at the time. I was like, okay, I'm getting out the Army, and I'm going to pursue doing music. And so I got out, and I started doing it, and I started making a name for myself around here in Austin. And, um, yeah, that's kind of just how it started. And I remember just... The show was always my thing. Like, if you ask probably other rappers about me or any anybody about me that knows me like that, I never claimed to be the best rapper. Mm. I was going to be the better show performer. You know, I, I, I was trying to embody it all, but I was going to be a stronger stage performer because I knew that I could win people over performing the song live. You know what I'm saying? And I guess that comes from years of being in talent shows when I was younger. Mm-hmm. I understood the talent show and the showmanship aspect of, you know, putting on a show. So that was my strong point. Like, I could make a good song, but now I'm going to take that song and I'm going to perform it live, bring it to life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's how that kind of started. And then by the time, uh, let's see, where would I be at at this point? So well, back then, by the time I first got signed, yeah. I don't know if you want me to jump that far. No, but. I was going to say a little bit before that. Uh, okay. At that time, you were still pressing records and pressing CDs. What was it like getting that grassroots uh, attention? In I guess was this still in the in the Colleen area? No, um, I actually then uh, Colleen was like my stomping grounds because I was in the military, but it wasn't where I was. Nobody, nobody in the military. Well. No, the people that work with me knew I rapped because I rapped all day long. They were mm-hmm. like, Chapman, shut the fuck up. What the fuck? And, um, but they all knew I could rap. And uh, so when I got out and I started just, you know, I started basically like hooking up with some of the local hip-hop guys and just rapping and just kind of, and I hooked up with a guy named DJ Casanova and started making some demos, that which we called demos back then. Mm-hmm. Today, y'all call it SoundCloud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But we called it demos back then. But uh, so I was doing my demos and just kind of pressing up tapes and stuff. And I was working with Wink D and Big Scar and 
Diz was still doing some of my beats, so I was really just trying to, you know, we're all you're basically listening to an album, and all the beats are different. The album's kind of all over the place because it's not actually an actual album, but you're just getting what you can to put it together for your for a presentation. But that's what I always understood early on was the presentation of it all, mm-hmm. and so I was putting that together, and then um, just hitting shows, and really the shows is what got me known because let's say I'd show up to a show and they would say, all right, you have six minutes. Y'all have six minutes to perform. So what I would do is I would go and I would chop up the six minutes. I would do two minutes each of each song while everybody else would get out there and do one song. Mm-hmm. I would do three because I would chop it down in twos. You know what I mean? So I'd mm-hmm. have six minutes. Okay, well, I'm going to do two minutes each. And I remember some of the artists getting mad like, oh, man, he just got out here and did like three songs. and But I was doing like a mixtape style. Like a or like a what I would like to call it, uh, Ice Cube Jacking for Beats style. Mm-hmm. You remember that song Jacking for Beats? No. I don't know if you, yeah, you're probably too young. But the beat just kept constantly changing like every four bars. Mm-hmm. And the beat would just change up, change up, change up. So it made it, it, it gave you the feeling like I was performing longer than I actually was. So That's I what could, really sets you set you aside. Over. Say what? That's what really sets you apart from the artist. That are in that were that are now in the situation we're talking about today is that you were already a performing artist. Yeah, well, like I said, that was my that was my strong point that I knew I had. Mm-hmm. I knew me performing was just going to be that because, like I said again, Aretha Franklin, Michael Jackson was one of mine, James Brown. Like I'm watching them perform, and I'm watching them captivate, and I'm watching them do certain things that are like. When people would just sit back in awe and look at them. So I remember when, when I was first performing around here, people were like, but they weren't really jumping up and down when you were out. I said, no, no, they're, they're taking it in. Mm-hmm. And people would think I was crazy. They were like, no, I don't know if they were feeling or not. And then right after we're done performing, then everybody start clapping. They say, oh, wow, they, they, they seem to be like just standing there the whole time when you were doing it at first. I was like, I think they're just taking it in because they haven't really seen that. You know, they haven't really seen somebody perform like that because usually you know just keep it real Trent. you go to a hip-hop show or, or some shows in general you see the performer whoever's performing they're kind of just it looks like they're just trying to get through it it doesn't look like they rehearsed that mm. you know what i'm saying it, it looks like you just decide to get up there and you're going to do it they're looking down see i didn't have none of that when i when i kind of came out here everybody was still doing the looking down, looking around, had to have 10 people on stage with them because they didn't have the confidence to stand out there on their own. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like to be a front person or to be solo is hard. Like I was, when people would talk about DMX, I said, man, DMX is the perfect example. Like he would, he had no hype man, no nothing. He would just go out there and do it. Mm-hmm. And it was just him. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's, that's that's a skill. You know what I mean, you got to be able to captivate people and, and to hold their attention. So that's how I kind of that's how I kind of got over. But I always was studying the greats. I studied all the people before me and what were they doing? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I kind of just I kind of knew. I don't know. It was just, just kind of natural for me in that way, in that sense. So I was like, I'm not gonna try to be the best because you know every every rapper feels like they're the best rapper. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what I'm gonna be? I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the the performer that's hard to top because my show alone is gonna win you over. 
Yeah, you, you my, said my a lot presentation, of, you know what I mean? Yeah. You said a lot there and uh I kinda wanna take it back to where you were okay. where you were where you were going with the when she got signed and when everything happened. Uh what what kind of set you apart and got you to that that place was that you were a performing artist that offered more of a production than than a lot of the the artists that were your um, comrade comrades or your uh, adversaries in yeah. in in the in, in the industry at that time. So then you navigate from being in the military to the Austin. Uh, scene, music scene, which is the live music capital of the world, and I, I have to, I have to assume that that kind of helped in you getting uh, the opportunities to be at the stage of being able to be signed and and work towards that. Yeah, I mean, well, it definitely was one of those things where coming to Austin, knowing it was the live music capital, was like, okay, hell yeah, but it still wasn't just that easy. Mm-hmm. Um. The performance part, I have to give that credit to my mom because when she would perform her shows, and you know, I'm like probably 12, 13 at the time, and she would talk about these things. She'd say, you know, she'd walk in, you know, they're doing little ballrooms and stuff back then, you know, little talent shows or whatever. And her thing was, yeah, bring that in here. Bring this over here. Bring the piano over here. And they're like, oh, it's just a show. And she's like, her thing was, we need to – all those big concerts you see, we need to throw right here on this little bitty stage. We need to mimic that big-ass concert. You'll go see some big artist perform and, and do, you know, do your best here. Like, so the lights are important. The fog is important. The, the production of the piano, which back then, those pianos were heavy. Like, you know what I'm saying? So when they were up there playing the piano, those were real pianos. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not like now where we can throw a, a keyboard up real quick and, and just go, you know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. But I understood that. So that was my approach too. So that's where I think I kind of won over a lot of people because I would watch a lot of stuff and i say, you know what, I'm going to bring in a big show production to this little bitty stage and I'm going to go all out. So all those shows I did in the beginning, I wasn't making any money. I was spending money mm-hmm. to put the show on. And everybody thought I was crazy. Like, man, we're trying to make money, man. You're spending money. I'm like, but this is what's going to create our brand. This is what's going to create the hysteria of it all. You know what I mean? This is going to be the thing where people come see it. Even if I wanted it to be to where even if people didn't like my style of music, the one thing they couldn't deny was that, yo, that dude put on a fucking show. Mm-hmm. Like that wasn't just some like he's serious. He's not. That whole, the lighting cues, the smoke going off, the fucking, you know, just just all those little things, they all matter, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that's what I wanted to make sure I was doing. Plus, this was going to be my presentation. And I was always known for that and my intros. And I always concentrate on those because a lot of people, sometimes they come to your shows and they only have maybe 10 minutes. By the time you come out, they probably have 10 minutes to give you, maybe five. They'll give you five minutes. So I wanted to make sure my five minutes of anticipation of even doing it was so big that it would make them want to stay. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the group before them, the group before you might be whack as hell. So you've been to shows where probably some friends that are performing. It's three acts in. These three acts are just whack as fuck. You're, it's making you tired. So now by the time you, whoever you're coming to see, you're already tired for that. So I wanted to make sure 
all right, so our intro and our introduction of doing it needs to be not just walking on stage. Hey, guys. How you doing? My name is Smack Ola. Everybody was doing that out here like some grassroots-ass shit. I didn't even want to be introduced. Mm-hmm. I would tell the guys trying to introduce me, don't introduce me. Just turn the lights all off, turn the stage light on, boom, and just start the shit, and it'll grab everybody's attention. So people weren't really doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I come from that era, I guess, of doing that kind of stuff, and that's what kind of helped doing that. You know what I mean? It was just mm-hmm. It was just my show to me. Personally, I think that's what it, that's what really grabbed people, because a lot of people didn't even know who I was. A lot of people that kind of heard of me but never saw it weren't really into. It was like my fans were kind of the, the fans I started building were weird because they became fans of mine just because I won them over because of the fact that it was a respect level of man. You put on a show. I'm not even into rock music, mm-hmm. or the rock people would be like, I'm not even into hip hop. But that shit you just did was so big, and and your your um your span of of musical music wasn't the same. You you didn't get on stage and just do the same song back to back. Basically, you had different sounds, different genres, different everything, and you mixed it all together. Where you know, and I think that's just where I won them over. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. People would probably have to tell you what they think, but. That's my consensus of it. Yeah. And then, so your 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 first were you signed prior to being offered uh, being signed through um, Strange Music? No, I never signed to Strange Music. No, but before that, were you signed to another label? Um, I was signed to Roy Jones. Before Roy Jones, I was signed to Pick Up the Pace Productions. Mm-hmm. That was with me and a group called Underrated, mm-hmm. and uh, we were we had a little single, and um, we were just kind of going around doing shows. Mm-hmm. You know, we weren't even on radio or nothing yet, but people were getting to know us because of our show. Our show was just dope. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what was winning us in the door. They were like, "Yo, who's the who's them guys? Underrated in the DOG? I was going by the DOG back then. They were like, "Yeah, yeah, bring them in." So. We just made it easier. Where they, we were two different groups, so we just kind of came together like that because back then everybody's fighting over the slot, and we didn't really have that much material. So hey, y'all got a dope. T- y'all got two dope songs. I got two dope ones. Let's do it like this. I would have them out in the front yard. All right, this is how we're gonna do it. Here's the routine. When you put when this beat drops, you go that way. You go this way, and then y'all run back. You know, it's just all this whole routine thing, mm-hmm. and that's what was winning us over. So then I was signed to pick up the Pace Productions. That went sour. And that what did they much, offer you? Like, what was the deal that they offered? Well, you? pick up the pace back then. It wasn't anything. It was just like a like a production deal. So we were hunting for producers and all that. But we didn't even get to that point mm. because it fell apart. Because what started happening was we were doing shows. So we were getting booked. But a lot of the shows we kept thinking we were just doing promos, but we were actually getting paid mm-hmm. and we just didn't know it. You know, what I mean. But we were so in love with what we were doing, we didn't really care about the business end. Typical musician story, right? Mm. And um, But by the time the shit, we got into it with uh, the people, and it kind of just went sour. So it, it, just, it just, like, it discouraged the other two guys to where they didn't even want to do music really anymore. Back but in me, that day? I was, huh? 
Back in that day, did they did they offer these three sixty deals? Oh no, no. this is before the three sixty deal even came along. Mm-hmm. This is just standard production deal, record deal type stuff. Mm. So we were getting a production deal, but we were just in the transit of doing it. So in the transit of doing it, that's when all this shit happened, and it went sour. What we're getting paid, and we didn't even know it. Like mm-hmm. what? And uh, so it it just discouraged these guys, my other two homeboys that were rapping. And that's what that's what landed me in the army because I was like, okay, I'm gonna go in the army. I'm gonna stack up my money. I'm gonna buy my own keyboard, my own 16 track recorder, blah blah blah. That's what I was gonna do. Mm. Um, so that's how that happened. And then once I got out the military, or right when I was getting ready to get out, and we were recording major players, we did a record deal with Hitworks. That was me and Diz did a deal with um, the studio we were working at. So the studio kind of started a label. It kind of fizzed out. So that would be like a, a recording deal, right? No, no, no. They were they were a recording studio, so they already had a studio. Mm-hmm. Man, shout out to Kendrick Wells. He had, a, he had a recording studio, and then they were working on a label. Oh, okay. So it was just kind of, they were like, hey, we like what y'all are doing. You'll be one of the acts on the label. So we just kind of have him be right place, right time kind of thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And we did major players. It was still all an independent label, just small. It wasn't nothing major. Um, and then after that is when I started. Now my son died, so now I was like, okay, now I got no choice but to do this, and I'm gonna make a record. I'm gonna make a solo record. I'm gonna show everybody I I can do it, and you know, do all that. So I started. All my friends that produce beats, I was you know gathering the music together and working on that. And uh, then ended up meeting Roy Jones Jr. Mm. Well, I got introduced to him to my friend Karen Sarabian. Rest in peace. She passed. She. Uh, what I did was I, everywhere I would go from Atlanta, Alabama, Florida, California, wherever, I'd always meet these hot ass chicks. Mm-hmm. And so, but I would just get to know them and be friends with them. I still do it today. I get to know and be friends with them because these are all the girls that are going to get next to all these people. Mm-hmm. And I knew that. You know what I mean? So I just always remained cool with them. They always thought I was cool. And every time I came out with a new song or something, I would just, you know, put it in the mail and send it to them. Mm-hmm. She just happened to be playing my record. She was uh, with Roy. And they were at the airport or going to the airport. She was getting a ride to the airport or something. She was playing my music. And I guess he got out the car and he was just like, hey, who is that? Oh, that's Smackola, blah, blah, blah. Okay. He calls back a couple of days later. Hey, I couldn't find that in the store. Like, is it under something else? She was like, oh, no, it's not a record that's out. That was just what he sent me. He was like, oh, well, hey, man, holler at him. I'm starting a record label, and I'd like to talk to him about maybe being on there. Mm-hmm. Just out the blue like that. He said, give, her, give him my number, blah, blah. So that's how all that started. So she called me, gave me the number, blah, blah. And uh, at the time, I was still recording a solo, and I was working at a studio called Living, The Living Room here in Austin. And at this time, I had already racked up, I don't know, it was like $6,000 or $8,000, right? Well, they, they were still letting me come in there record because I kept telling them, man, I'm going to get a deal. You know what you hear rappers do today. Man, I'm telling you, man, I'm going to get a deal and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And so... You know, they told me, they said, well, your music definitely does stand out more than anybody we've heard. 
and we do believe something will happen. So they kind of were letting me come in there, and they would just tally up the tab. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that and was so, your first like record deal. Yeah, that was my first uh, major independent record deal. Mm. And then, um, <clears throat> so as that as that as I kept tallying up the bill, they finally were like, "Hey, Smack, uh, you know, you gonna be able to take care of this bill, or what's going on?" I'm like. Yeah, man, I'm telling you, I'm going to get signed soon. You know, I had an afro out to here. I just let everything go. I let my beard grow. I was just looking crazy. Like, if you would have seen me back then, because I was just like, I'm not cutting my hair until I get a record deal. I was on that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. So, once the Arabian called and said, hey, Roy Jones wants to meet you, blah, blah. Long story short, I ended up going to Florida, meeting with him. And um, then I come back to Austin. He comes to Austin because... I'm getting ready to do a South by Southwest showcase. And he said, well, I want to come see it live because I keep hearing that you're dope live. So then he came down to see it. Because even when I was down there in Florida, when I went down there to Florida at one time, I would just pop up in a club and do a show. Mm-hmm. And so he would hear about it and be like, man, I heard you're, you're really dope live. And I've seen videotape and I want to come see it live myself. So he came to Austin right after he signed me. And then the rumors started going around. This is, again, pre Internet, internet was around at this time, but it was it, there was very, you know what I mean? It was like emails and shit. Mm-hmm. Um, no, so the rumors started going around. Oh, Smack got signed by Roy Jones. Oh, he's lying. He's bullshitting. Da, 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 what? So then Roy and his team came to town. We went around. It was so cool, dude. I got to go to that studio where I racked up that large ass bill. And it was so funny because I called them. I said, "Hey, man, I need some studio time." They're like, "Yeah, we need to talk about that." I said, well, I'll come by there and talk about it. They said, yeah. So I come in there, and they're like, yeah, we just need to talk about this bill. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm like, man. I said, oh, Roy Jones. And, and the guy, I knew the guy that owned it, he was a Roy Jones fan. Mm-hmm. So I'm totally playing this up, right? I'm doing my whole, like, whatever you want to call it that people say I do. I'm setting them up, basically. Mm. And so I'm like, yeah. Roy Jones Jr. was coming. They said, oh, I heard about that. That's like a rumor, right? I'm like, no, he said he was coming in here to pay the bill. And so me and Roy already had it kind of figured out. Roy comes up to the door. He comes walking in. He goes, oh, hey, I'm here to pay the bill for a mm-hmm. smackola. And they were just tripping, dude. It was like one of good moments. It was just it was just that good feeling of like, what the fuck? Just see the look on their face. Mm-hmm. They were like, what the fuck? And I was like, yeah, man, I got signed. They were like, it is true. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and they were like, Oh, wow. And Roy pulled out a checkbook. They, he signed it. We sat there. He ordered lunch. We sat there. We ate lunch. They told him stories about me, blah, blah, blah. It was great, dude. It was just a, it was just a, it was one of those things. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, so we went around and I did the show that night and blah, blah, blah. And then that's when I officially was, you know, out there. I, I took him to KZI. That was back when KZI was really, really popping for the local artists because there was nothing else around there was no other radio station there was nothing Mm. and so just doing all of that and uh that was my first record deal so actually my record uh verbal concussions was the first release on body head so now this record is getting ready to come out in april 2000 so here we are we're getting ready to drop everything and then right when we signed the the deal with um, um universal Dude, I swear, like two days prior, they decided, oh, hey, well, we're going to go ahead and put a stop to that record, and we're going to concentrate on Roy Jones's round one record. Mm. And so that's when I got my first taste of 
major label bullshit. Mm-hmm. And just they just put a stop to my dream. Like, oh. But back then, it's not like now. Like back then, they had already sent the records out. There were some records already, they were already putting on shelves. So by the time the word got around through faxes, see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Oh, we're not... So some of the record got out. So here I am running around still trying to promote this album. Everybody's looking at it like, oh, man, man, your record didn't do good because you're blah, blah. And they, they, they didn't understand the business. Like, no, it's because once the label signed us or Roy's label, he relinquished, unbeknownst to even him, you relinquishing the rights to them to now do what they want. So they decided they'd rather put their money into you than me. You're the big name already. You're a fucking boxing star so did you get lucky in that the advance for your record went through roy yeah i got i got real lucky oh wow and what i did was roy offered me a bunch of money but i said no you ain't gotta give me no money just do what you say you're gonna do and he was always a real cool dude you know what i mean yeah um because i knew i'd have to owe that money yeah and um so basically it's just kind of like just imagine just imagine you're excited. Your record's finally coming out. You've mm-hmm. been sleeping on floors. You've been fucking with some of these scallywag broads. You don't even want. You never really wanted to deal with, but you had to because you mm-hmm. had to survive. You're eating. You're eating fucking Whataburger every day, every other day, ramen mm-hmm. noodles. And here's your record coming. You got all the haters on you, like, because back then in Austin it was the same thing. Who's gonna blow? Who's gonna be the first to blow up? Who's gonna be? It was mm-hmm. all that shit going on. So here's my record getting ready to come out. You know, I had all these joints on it. I had my, I had Diz with me. I had, I brought some other guys along. This is when I, Crash was with me back then. Mm-hmm. And and uh, FYI, me and Crash were already calling ourselves the Dirty Worms mm-hmm. then, cause so, so I was already pre-setting that up mm-hmm. as I was getting ready for the record. Anyway, so oh wait, before you go on that, Dirty Worms mm-hmm. came from you calling your kid. Yeah, yeah, my son was my little Dirty Worm. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like an ode to that, and it was like also dirty from Dirty South underground, like worms, because we were underground. Mm-hmm. And it was like, and, and since the internet was coming, it was also this virus, like a like a worm virus. Mm-hmm. So it had all these little things too. So, but just imagine your record's getting ready to drop. You're excited. You're you're seeing posters. You know, this is the first time I'm seeing big ass posters with my name on it. I'm seeing my name and ads for. That are about to come out in um, what was the fucking name of the magazine? Uh, Source and all this shit. Mm-hmm. And right two days before the record comes out, they put a stop to it. And and the way they say it, they they just say it to us like it's no big deal. Mm-hmm. But for me, you know, this was all my dreams. This is everything I've been working for, pushing for. So it kind of just shattered it. But I was still running around to record stores trying to get it in stores. And it had made it into some stores. They couldn't stop all of them because, you know what I mean, it had, it had already shipped out. How many discs do you, do you think they pressed? I don't even remember, dude. It, it was like, it was a lot. Because mm. I remember being in the warehouse and it was just boxes and boxes. And it was just like, oh shit, this shit's about to go down. And they just pulled the, the plug? They just pulled the plug. So what they were going to do is let it come out first and as it gained traction, then they were going to shoot a video. It, it was going to kind of go backwards like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and so I was willing to take that risk, though, because I didn't care because I was already a slow build-up artist anyway. Because mm. their thing was like, if we just go, bow and throw you out there, it might not do good. So why don't we just let the record come out, then we'll put out the the 
the ads on you and the source because as you're going around doing shows, people are like, oh, that's that dude we just saw at that little showcase. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Then the videos and saw that. So anyway, two days before they canceled it to start work on Roy's uh, round one album. And I was so discouraged and distraught that I didn't really make it on that record because mm-hmm. I was basically so fucking... I don't know. I was still trying to work my record because I believe that it was so good. I was like, fuck that. I'm still going to try to make my shit work. You know what I mean? And that's when I learned going up against a machine. So I learned a lot. In you, were in your, you were in your late 20s at this time? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I learned, I learned a lot by going through this process. So that's why I tell a lot of artists things that I tell them today because I'm like, dude, I actually been through the shit. And I'm telling you, I'll tell somebody when they're like, yeah, I'm going to go against so-and-so. I'm like, you can't go against him. He's a fucking, he's backed by this corporation. You Mm -hmm. can't do that because they do this. Oh, so-and-so fell off. He didn't fall off, dude. They got, they just are not putting his record out. Like, imagine I'm hot back then and people thought I fell off like overnight or something. Like, I didn't fall off, dude. I mean, they just, I don't own the, I don't, I don't own the machine that's going to push this whole thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm still here doing it. But uh, you always hear me talk about that here and there. Um, I talked about it the other day with Nicki Minaj, and they mm-hmm. just took her out the machine. Mm-hmm. But that machine is generating you a fake love at the same time. It's making, it's, it's, it's telling the people, hey, this is hot. Go buy this. This is the new thing. If you ain't got this, you ain't you are you're not cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, that, and and so, but one day when they take you out that machine, people have. I think me and you had this conversation like, oh, 50 fell off. No, 50 Cent didn't fall off. They just took him out the Interscope machine. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's still winning over here with power and all this shit. He could still make records. If you hear some of the records he's still making, you're like, dude, these records are just as good as what he's been doing. Mm-hmm. He's not all of a sudden going to be this guy that's going to make whack records now. That's not going to be. But you do see artists go through that when they try to do what's going on and just, no, just do you. Don't try to do what they're what they're pushing. Just do you. Yeah. So. So yeah, man. Um, so that was the first record deal was with Roy. Um, and we still stayed cool, still cool over all these years because I knew it was an opportunity when I went into it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I wasn't gonna miss that opportunity, dude. I mean, he was the heavyweight. He was the light heavyweight champion of the world. I was a fan. We were stoked about it. It was it was great. Mm-hmm. Um, then the next one came with Beeler Brothers, um, a label that we signed to. This is now Dirty Worms in now. This is like our second album. Mm-hmm. And we were always getting offers, but the only reason we took that Beeler Brothers record one was because we wanted to go on tour. And this is around the same time that Tech was wanting to sign us and all this stuff. And, mm-hmm. and we were going to do the Kabosh record and blah, blah. So we just been through a whole lot, man. But now after the so after the Beeler Brothers record that tour didn't happen, they, they were real cool though. They 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 didn't try to hold us. They they let us go. Um, gave us back our masters and I told the band, I said, see, I don't ever want to do that again because mm-hmm. I don't like our destiny being in other people's hands. Mm-hmm. And it to me it makes everyone around you lazy because they go, Oh, we're on the label now. And it's like, no, dude, we gotta we still gotta do what we're doing. They're all they're gonna do is put the record out. Yeah. and collecting but these guys were going to put us on a tour with Marilyn Manson 
And so that's what we were really, that's why we signed the deal because we were banking on that. And then Marilyn Manson relapsed and blah, blah, blah. And then it just, the deal just was like, fuck, here we go again. So we've had, so it's funny because when I meet a lot of artists that go through like a bad time, I'm like, dude, I've kissed the sky at least 10 times and been shot down before I could, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know exactly. But but shit beyond your control, like it just it's beyond your control. Mm-hmm. So uh, so yeah, as far as record deal goes, and then when the strange music thing came back around, we just weren't really, we're just not really interested. We're just more like, let's just let's do a deal, but we can do an agreement. You know what I mean? Let's do an agreement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I shouldn't say deal. I should say agreement. Let's do an agreement. We'll do X, Y, and Z, but we don't want no one to own us. Yeah. Yeah, you know I'm saying like I'm not down with that shit. With your with uh with that being said, when you when you went to the opportunity with with uh, strange music, were they offering you like world tour uh money? No, 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 cuz this was like still that? this was still the stage of just us doing the Kabosh project. So it was a small project offshoot. Well, this was going to be a big project that oh, they were doing cuz Tech 9 and and Chris Calico basically asked me and, and my band to be a part of this group project. And I was going to mm-hmm. be the third MC and the band was going to be the backing band mm-hmm. or the band. So it was basically going to be Dirty Worms with Tech 9 and Chris Calico. Okay. And, uh, yeah. So, so we were stoked because we were already Tech 9 fans and we were stoked to find out he was fans of ours, and it was all that kind of shit going on. And then it was like, man, this dude's a fucking beast. Like, we were looking at Tech 9 like, whoa, mm-hmm. this motherfucker could pick anybody in the world that he wanted to do this with. He's picking us. Mm-hmm. So we were down to do it, and um, so we were getting ready to put out a record, but then we were like, no, let's hold on, because if we're going to do this kibosh thing, we need to kind of, you know, you don't want to throw all your rocks in one basket, but you want to make sure what's going to happen first and second before you start acting. So I remember a lot of fans were at us because they were like, man, y'all taking so long to drop this next record. Well, we're trying to wait to see what's going on. You know, even today, like I'll get fans that'd be like, when are you going to drop a new record? And I'm like, you can't just drop a record like that. Mm-hmm. You can't just, I, I know you're, I know these little rappers out here that are doing it, but we're a band. Like, we can't just drop it. We want to maximize. And you already see, if Chris Brown can come out with a record, and after two weeks it's old news, mm-hmm. I'm not really that interested in dropping a record. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but I think <laughs> that's a that... lot. Of, that's a lot of work. I mean, watch by next week. Yeah. I mean, just really think about. It. Just look at Drake now. No one's talking about that. Yeah. There's no more. Like in my day, you talked about a fucking record for the next two years. That that time is gone. See, and I know a lot of I know your generation, like y'all didn't get to experience that. Like that's what's missing in music to me when people would be playing a record for like a whole year. Yeah, what sets you apart though from and and maybe you could kind of like an analogy this to the Nicki album is the production level of an album that you put out is going to take far more time than a Chris Brown album. Or a Drake album, album because yeah. the, you're talking well, about synthesizers band. to a band, yeah. yeah. You got to mic all the, you got to mic the all the yeah, instruments. Yeah, you got to get it just right. Yeah, if you don't yeah. mic up the kick right, it'll sound weird. You know what I mean, mm-hmm. um, shout out to Dwight, Dwight Baker, he helped us formulate that, and also shout out to Baleo. They they really helped 
um, craft us in that direction. Mm. Because we were doing hip-hop and rock. Mm-hmm. And when I heard other hip-hop and rock records, I was always like, eh, they're, they're being too rock. Mm. And that's where... I remember when Ice-T was doing Body Count, and everybody was like, yeah, it's kind of cool, but it's like... I was like, well, where to me he messed up is he stopped being the rapper that we love him for. Mm-hmm. And he started trying to sound like this rock person. And I said, um, and it's so rocky, rock, rock, that it doesn't have this groove that hip-hop has. Mm-hmm. So when I was working on mine, I said, but my idea of doing it, since I was already new, and if you heard my first record, it would make sense when you, if you hear verbal concussions. I'm already doing all that stuff. And so I said, I can... It's almost like Snoop Dogg trying to turn around right now and be this rock rapper. You wouldn't go for it. You know what I mean? But if me, this new guy you haven't heard of, comes out and I'm doing all these things, you, you could probably accept it a little more. So I knew that, and I knew the first crowd we were going to have to go after was a rock audience. Mm-hmm. And just because there's multi-levels of why, in Austin, being the live music capital, I saw that people respect bands. Mm-hmm. So I was like, we got to get a band. So that's when I first saw MC Overlord, and I was like, man, this nigga got a band. That shit was dope. Okay, I can do it. You know, once I saw him doing it, I was like, okay. It just kept, it was just backing me up. Like, man, I don't know. I'm going to jump out here. Because when I was telling people that I was going to do a band, a rock band, Dirty Worms, they all, I repeat, all laughed at me. Hmm. I remember a girl I was dating at the time laughed at me so bad, dude. And put me out on the side of the road. It's almost like when I talk about flat earth or some shit to people. And and when I said that to her, like, you're going to do rock. You can't do rock. You're black and you're blah, blah, and you're a rapper. And just get the fuck out. <laughs> it was like, why are you getting so mad about it, though? I mean, you can entertain. I can entertain you telling me you want to be a princess. What the fuck? You know what I mean? So right. <laughs> it was just, it was very strange. And I remember telling some other comrades, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do this thing called Dirty Wine Rock Band. They were like... Man, this nigga gonna do some rock. What the fuck are you talking about? And I'm like, wow. Because mm. they didn't understand that even though I'm doing what I'm doing now, I'm already looking down the road what I'm what I want to do. Because I wanted to set myself so far apart that I wanted to be like a like an anomaly. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be famous. I wanted to be iconic. I wanted right. to be like where you could just be like, oh shit, that's dirty worms or that's this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um. I'm sorry, it's just hard to explain all this because it's so much. We'd be here for the next fucking three, four weeks. No, like, uh, I'm, I'm I'm, appreciating it, and I, I don't know how much more time you have to talk, but... I got time, I got time. Awesome. Uh, so, you you get this experience, and you're, you know, 10, 15 years into the game, and in in hip-hop and in rock music, you've got a full understanding of media, marketing, advertising, all of this. You've built the Dirty Worms brand. When is it you start doing the international portions and going and playing overseas? Well, that slowly started happening. Like, the music started traveling. Like, right now, for about six years now, this group, uh, I can't think of their name right now. Five, you're going to kill me. Starts with a P. Anyway, they've been trying to get me to come to Russia to do Dirty Worms. Yeah. And and they were showing me videos of people doing, like, Dirty Worms cover bands over there. Mm-hmm. And so this is around the time my mom was sick and stuff, and I was taking care of her. And I was like, 
man, I can't just get up and come that far, you know. Mm-hmm. Plus, we need more than one show because they were like, yeah, we got this one big show. I'm like, I'm like, man, we need more than just one show. It's too far to come. Just do one show. Yeah. And they would be like, well, this is a big one. I'm like, I don't care how big it is. Like, it may be big, but I like hitting those little shows too. I love hitting those little shows because more intimate and I feel like you actually – when I do a little bitty show, when I go play a little bitty ass spot, mm-hmm. that's where I create the most hardcore wormhead fan. When I'm playing like some big shit, it's like people are like, yeah, yeah, that was cool. But when I go play like a little venue, mm-hmm. some shit you wouldn't think you see us in, man, those people right there instantly, boom, it's like they've just become fucking hardcore fans. Yeah. So I understand that aspect too. Yeah, your um, your uh your like visuals as far as they go online portray you as you know uh, a festival band like huge like numbers. And we don't even play we don't even play that many. We don't even, we don't play that many. And I think now now we're gonna get into some probably some touchy poly- political shit now. Mm. But us being a black rock band Mm. which we would be considered there was and i know people love you know in this post-racial era whatever whatever you want to call it people love to go no man it's not about color Mm -hmm. dude it's totally about shit like that like Mm -hmm. i remember playing certain venues and we'd come in there and they didn't they didn't know we were black again this is pre kind of the internet's out, but it's not as big yet. It's not like this thing. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. I think MySpace is around at this time and shit like that, but it's still kind of just whatever. We have a record at the top of the food chain hits the hits the uh, 101X radio here locally. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this song is blowing up for years. It's just fucking going. So then we start, people are rec- calling in there. Shout out to um, Toby Ryan. We used to work down there, 101X. Mm-hmm. People are calling us so much. They're playing Black Piranha on the radio. They're playing Greasy. I mean, it's just going. They're still playing this food chain. And we're going to the venues, dude, and it's just weird. Like, we feel it. And we know the difference. We know what race is. We know what it feels like. We know what it is. And they're kind of, we're just kind of like smiling, going, oh. And we're, we're looking at their face and they're like, oh, they're they're black. Oh shit! Okay, uh, that's cool. Um, hey, y'all know y'all gotta do this. And it's like we know what we're doing, dude. We're musicians. Mm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So we're kind of going yeah. through that, and oh, well, this can't be louder than that, and blah blah. But we used to love it, dude, because we would turn around and we would blow the spot up. Yeah. And you know, we we were, so we were kind of known for that. We were known for our show off top. Off top, we were already known for. Because we did a showcase um, at Steamboat. So the record's on the radio. So now people are going to get to see Dirty Worms for the first time. So I'm telling the band, like, dude, we got to bring in lasers and fucking all this shit. You know what I mean? And I remember at the time, I just got, I just had like, I don't know, I just saved up like 800 bucks. It was in my savings. Man, I took that shit out and I spent that shit on merch and uh, renting lights at Rock and Roll Rentals. Even though they already had lights, we brought an extra shit. You know what I'm saying? Like putting, trying to put a commercial out there, doing all this stuff, and everyone's looking at me and my girl at the time. We're like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "This show is so important that 
it should be it should be a really good show. But I want when people walk in here, they'd be like, when they see the opening groups, they're gonna be like, oh, that was cool. Oh, that was cool. And then here we come. Screen drops down. What the fuck is this? You know what I mean? What the fuck's going on? They got commercials and shit and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, bam, they're dropping. It opens up and these motherfuckers got masks on and it's all coordinated. And You know what I mean? I just wanted mm-hmm. to be entertained because I knew that's what was, that was going to be our thing. Like That was going to grab them. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just going to be you went to go see a band. Like, yeah, hey, let's go check out this band. They're playing at the blah, blah, blah. Every time we play we would bring in screens and shit like that and just just trying to put on a good production value one time we came up in red eye fly on harleys and shit and you know everybody's like where where's smack where 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 everybody you hearing this and we're coming through the club mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying we were doing shit like that and then um we were starting it we were probably right at a real popular popular hype and this kid named Daniel Narocha and this other guy got shot by the police. Mm-hmm. And it was so fucked up. And so I went to this uh, little group meeting. It was called the People Overseeing Police, the POP. Mm-hmm. And they're in there talking about, you know, so, of course, we're all angry because they're like, man, it's fucked up. And of course, the cops are doing then what they're doing now. They were saying, oh, I feared for my life. And. Well, he was running away from you. Mm. He was scared for his. He's running away from me. Well, I couldn't find my taser, and I thought he had my, I thought he had my taser. So he shot him with your gun. Fuck out of here. Come on, man. Like, it's just like an excuse. Like you see some of these videos. It's an excuse. It's just like you have a license to kill, so you, you used it. You know what I mean? Now, not to say that in every situation, but when you see some of these situations, you're like, uh, nah, nah. You know what I mean? So anyway kid gets killed they're trying to bring awareness to it and so i say um well willie nelson ain't gonna do speak up for y'all or do no song we'll do it so we made a song called pop cop and it wasn't about shooting police it was about pop cop take a picture of the police the people overseeing police and it was to help go along with this little organization what they were trying to start so we were all about the community thing but then they fizzled out right when we did it this pop cop thing took off. We performed it. People love it. Mm-hmm. And then when the festivals came, so I think it was a biker rally. First, it started with this biker rally fest. Man, we want to book Dirty Worms, but uh, oh, I remember the lady saying this verbatim. She was like, "Yeah, I'm looking on the website here, and y'all got masks on. Oh, you got two black. Are all y'all black? We're like, well, the guitar player is white." Was it okay? That's weird. You know what I mean? Mm. And she's like, "Oh, okay. Well, y'all are the dirty worms, right? Yeah, I'm the contact. You're talking to him. What's up? You want to book us?" She's like, "Yeah. Um, well, let me call you back." So then she calls back. I noticed you guys. Um, you guys have a song called Pop a Cop. Well, I don't know if we can mm. uh, book y'all here because there's gonna be police here. Da da da. I said, "Well, ma'am, we just we just won't perform the song. I mean." We're professional. We're professional like, yeah. If you don't want us to perform something, we won't do it. We're not all like whatever. Well, not and, to uh, not to say that. I mean, it's a different day and age probably than it was then. But I mean, NWA was doing. Uh, oh, NWA did it way before us. So it's yeah. like you know, what I mean, way before us. So we were just doing something that happened, you know, around this time. This is like two thousand six, two thousand five, two thousand six. Mm-hmm. 
So then she calls back. <clears throat> and it kept being all this shit. Are y'all satanic? We're like, no, what the fuck? Mm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And the last straw was she called back. And she goes, well, y'all cuss a lot. Are, are y'all? I said, ma'am, if y'all don't want us to cuss, we don't have to cuss. But I've been to the biker rally. Mm-hmm. You got bitches riding around the back of bikes with their titties. Oh, can I cuss on this show? Yeah, you're fine. Okay. We got titties, shit popping out. Motherfuckers are cussing all fucking day. Mm-hmm. All these other rock bands are up there. The first thing they're saying, how the fuck y'all doing out there? You know, I mean, what is the difference of us doing? I said, but fine, we won't cuss. And then this bitch had the audacity to say, well, how do we know that for sure? I'm like, we're professional. We've played in front of kids to where mm-hmm. we've had to be clean. Mm-hmm. Like, and there's certain songs we can't do, you know, mm-hmm. or we change them around to do them. So that's when I started noticing it. And then there was this big thing about the ACL Fest. And people were like, how come they never have y'all at mm-hmm. that? Y'all are so big to where y'all should be playing that. And I remember this old Jewish white dude. I don't I don't know his name, but we were all sitting out. And he was like, yeah. He's like, you know, Smack, you're a great entertainer. And you deserve to be on that stage, and y'all's face deserves to be up there with the Willie Nelsons, the Stevie Ray Vaughns, all of them, because y'all have made an impact as far as music goes in Austin to where it's known. Mm-hmm. He said, and I feel like y'all are not really getting that just due because y'all are not the go-along Negroes. So we're looking at him like this old white dude. We're looking at him like the go-along Negroes. He's like, yeah. Y'all are not willing to go along with that bullshit. Mm-hmm. He said, if y'all were up here and y'all weren't talking about, he said, they're scared of what you might say. They're scared you might talk about the mistreatment of black people. You're, they're, they're scared you might talk about the injustice going on, blah, blah, because we were doing that. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. And he said, they're scared of you doing that. They don't want you to do it. But if you were one of these old, just pop a bottle, let's party and dance Negroes, you'd mm-hmm. be up there. They, they wouldn't mind having you there, but... They can't afford to have you be the face of Austin, so they're going to try to block you. Now, this dude's telling me this shit. Mm-hmm. And he goes, that's why they're not going to have you at ACL Fest. Because we were trying to – they were doing a, a, some ballots or something or signing a petition to get us to play because people were like, how are the Dirty Worms not playing this? They're like one of the biggest groups at the time in Austin. Like they should be playing this. Mm-hmm. So – one of the guys, I guess, from Pecan Street Festival we did, they kept telling us we couldn't cuss. But the groups before us were cussing. Mm-hmm. So we were like, you know, at the time we're like, man, why, why do these white people always keep telling us what we can't do, but they can do it? Mm-hmm. They're doing it. What's the difference if I do it? Man, as soon as I got up there and said, fuck the dirty They were like, what the hell? They were getting all these complaints. We were, And the complaints weren't even about us cussing. It was we were too loud. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, so we were going through a lot of that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the final straw, I think, was with the ACL Fest and different things. Now, I noticed the shift when Barack Obama became president. It became worse? It became weird. Like, so for the first, his first term, it was kind of still cool. It was like, okay, we're, you know, we're still doing shows like a motherfucker. We're, we're, we're doing our thing. Mm-hmm. His second term, that's when it got funny. Is that because they, the individuals who aren't part of the urban community or are, are just trying to 
uh, impose themselves on the urban community, uh, set the expectation, set some sort of expectations? No, I think it was. Do you understand what I'm saying, though? I like understand I'm what saying, you're saying, but yeah. since I was there mm-hmm. feeling it, it was totally what I what I knew what it was. Mm-hmm. It was the shift of okay, now wait a minute, we let them do it for four years, but this second term thing. But it was more than that. It was it, it was a black thing. It really was. You know, they would try to be like, well, no, no that's, it's not because what, of that. It's because of this. That and since I'm, we're I'm black, agreeing with you. I'm agreeing yeah. with you. What I'm saying is that these individuals that are hard left leaning uh but don't have very much interaction with the urban community from Mm -hmm. uh asian to black to uh wherever you know uh russian whatever Mm -hmm. they impose these ideologies of what someone should be an archetype uh, archetype of what a African American African American should be in that yeah. of somebody who's not really an African American and Barack Obama. So then you ex- they expected what you said before was this go along African American instead of uh, a culturally aware a- across the board. Yeah, it, they they felt like because I was woke, I guess mm-hmm. as the kids call it today, mm-hmm. that okay, uh, forget him. Don't don't put him on a platform because he's gonna say something. Mm-hmm. He's gonna say no. That that's no. That's not right. That's wrong. And I also looked at it like the message we had. Like we're trying to tell people, hey, be independent. Mm-hmm. Go. You know, we're anti-government. All this shit, right? And I just felt that shift as soon as he took that second term. Mm. I noticed it from even friends of ours, and I just started noticing like. They were trying to blame it on his politics and all that, but it wasn't really even about that. I'm looking at him, listening to him, like, it's not because of that. You have a problem with this dude being black. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, he's still working for white supremacy. So mm-hmm. he's only doing what they want him to do. So your problem is that he's black. And now mm-hmm. I start. I, I kept telling everybody then, I said, man, this racial thing is already taken off. So this is around the time we have a song called Race War that we still haven't released. Mm-hmm. This is the song you hear Tech Nine talking about. Like, man, I want to tear into that song called Race War that y'all have. Mm. And let's make that a kibosh record. Kibosh, killing America's beliefs on society's hoods. Mm. See what I'm saying? So this is that era of like, we, even Tech was feeling, you're feeling that racism come is coming. Mm. And we know it all too well because we're black. So mm. I've dealt with it all my life. So I know when the volume is being turned up. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Mm-hmm. It was already at it was already at eight. It's on fifteen, sixteen going to twenty right now. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So I felt it then and then once he was out and Trump came in as Trump is in, as as the more years on that second term of Obama, as you notice we were doing less and less. We were getting booked to less and less. It was all this, and I started remembering that old white dude, old white Jewish dude, and he's like, yeah, you're not the go-along Negro. Mm. And I thought of, you know, just some of our great heroes, too, that, you know, Malcolm X and that talked about this kind of stuff, and I'm like, wow. I'm like, y'all were cool with us when we were just entertainers, but now that I have something to say, you got a problem with that. Mm. And I'm not delivering hate speech. I'm just saying what's really going on. 
I mean, we got white kids at our shows all the time. Yeah, I was and gonna say. I was gonna some say, people, some people would get mad when I would talk about Black history or whatever. They say, "Don't you was, think you're offending them?" I was I'm gonna, like, I was gonna they say, "They don't know now, I'm black." <laughs> now, I was gonna say, "You're not in in what you're saying now. Even you're not saying that there's anything wrong with hate. It's just that when it becomes uh, s- systemic hatred, it becomes a problem." Yeah, well, we weren't pushing any hate towards anybody. If anything, we were saying, "Hate us, fuck the dirty worms, you ain't shit." Mm-hmm. But my thing was. I started seeing the climate of it. Like people really, when I was, when I would talk about black history or talk about certain things, they'd be like, well, don't you think you're offending your white fans? It would be white people saying this. And I'm like, mm-hmm. my, our white fans don't know that I'm black. That don't know that I know I'm black. Like what the fuck? You know what I mean? Yeah. I know what you mean. And the fact that it's almost, I'm going to be like anti-white here and saying that, do they maintain the attention span to, to, uh, to listen to something like this, uh, that doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah, seem it was like I'm being ignored, though. Yeah, it was like whatever yeah. they say goes, you know. So I, I, I right. just noticed it, you know. Not that I'm, you know. Again, I'm not trying to be whatever, but I'm gonna talk about the real. Like I noticed it on his second term. Yeah. But I also noticed how it was affecting us mm-hmm. as a group, as an mm-hmm. entertainment, as you know. Now we started having. You know, I'm hearing from friends of ours. White white fans and friends that are calling me saying about certain other groups, other bands, other white bands or whoever. Yeah, they really don't want y'all to play. They're, they were like, yeah, don't know how them niggers come play here. Mm. You know, da, da, da. and they and they would say, man, it's all because y'all come in here and y'all kick so much fucking ass. The last not, like now that the climate's like this, they're like, okay, that's enough of that. Mm. Like, how are we letting smack and them come do some rock shit when we do rock and they mm-hmm. come blow us off the stage? You know what I'm saying? Okay. So now, and I know, and I know, and I know people don't like to talk about that kind of stuff, but I talk about it because it's fucking real shit. Yeah, but then and that if you really, the and, if you really, and if you really follow us, yeah. you'll see where that actually started happening. So as I started meeting other big CEOs and you know, and some other, you know, so utilizing stuff, utilizing racism to compete for stage time. Well, it was kind of like this thing of like, I mean, the promoters white. Mm. The venue's white, mm-hmm. the you know, and it would just start to. And I'm not saying all of them were like that. I'm just saying I did see it and feel it, because let's you know, some people would try to be like, "Oh man, you're just using that as no." How many black rock rock bands do you know? Mm-hmm. How many of them are playing at a white venue? Mm-hmm. See what I'm saying? Right. Like, so we're one of the very few. Now, how many are in Texas? Venues? No, I'm talking about a black rock band. Oh, uh, okay. see, what I'm saying, like, I mean, Gary Clark Jr., but he's a no, solo a black artist. rock band. Yeah, 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 a yeah black yeah, rock yeah. band. Yeah, uh, and that, not to take nothing from away from Gary, but again, he's not making any statements or going out there saying or doing shit in his videos that are like you're pushing that line. Mm-hmm. And not, and I'm not trying to call him a go along, get along either. I think what he does is great, but I'm just saying mm-hmm. there is a big difference between him and us. Yeah, because we're saying shit. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. You listen to our lyrics. I'm saying it. You know, we were talking about Bush ass. We were doing all that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Bush and his daddy. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, you just gotta keep that in mind. And so I, like I said, I just noticed it transitioning, and I was like, yo, pretty soon, who's gonna book the black rock band? Because black promoters aren't really 
booking us because mm-hmm. they're not really in the rock. They want to listen to hip hop. That's cool. And so what we so what I had to do is we had to kind of change it up a little bit so that we could fit into more of a hip hop setting. So we wouldn't be so in your face, rock, rock. You know what I mean? Raw, raw. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, we kind of do that. So now as it comes, you go down that pipeline, but then hip hop is also now changing. Now the pay to play thing is really coming in strong. Well, and we're like, yo, yeah. what's going on? Like everything is becoming like there's so many different things changing. It's not, I'm not just all blaming it on this racial thing. I'm just I saying think... I noticed the shift of when that when that came right around that time. I yeah. noticed the whole shift of everything shifting, and everybody changing up. And you were either a go along, get along, or you were standing strong. Yeah. And we always stood strong. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And um, because we weren't doing anything wrong. Mm-hmm. We're just we're telling the truth. It's nothing we're saying is like a lie. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, but people would be offended. People would be people would some people tried to call us racist for pointing out racism. <laughs> it would just be like, You can't be a racist for pointing it out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just pointing it out, you know. Well, here's another but, thing uh, that I noticed like when I started bartending and, and getting into the promotional aspect of the the move, uh, music industry and the bar scene and whatnot and venues is that not a lot of these venues are owned by first or second generation uh, immigrants, right? And they haven't necessarily dealt with the systemic racism that occurred within the South uh, and Additionally, the, the the difference of racism as you get into the New Yorks or the Eastern Coast where you start bringing in the Irish and the Asians and you, you bring in all these groups. When you get these, you know, second generation, first generation uh, immigrants and they're fighting and they're they're utilizing the, you know, the lottery that they won off in another country to bring it here to and and it it just it leads to a whole different culture right uh and i think that i think that with the digital age and where we're moving forward there's going to be a blurred line as to as to there's not going to be a lot of monopolization in that everything is going to be up for for auction on the millisecond okay so as 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 different sorts of individuals start building their capital to buy, you know, I own um, the Nook on 6th Street today. You know, tomorrow it'll be owned by somebody else. But like literally in oh, a that, that, well, that's always been. I mean, all these clubs have bounced around like that. Yeah, but I mean m- more so like even the the rhetoric or the, the mantra. Because of... like when they want you out, let's say. Right. All they do is raise the property tax or the, the rent there. Mm-hmm. But and that then, that's I mean, government. That's a totally different thing. We're no, like when about... we used to go to Red Fez and the Hudson and all those places back in the day that right. were, I mean, booming spots. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, it would be closing. Why are you closing? You do so great here. Well, they're raising the rent and, mm-hmm. and they keep doing it because they're trying to push you out. Right. Because they want to put a fucking condo here. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. you know, so, yeah, I mean... It's going to get worse before it gets better. I mean, I think everybody can see that now, and I think mm-hmm. hip-hop is going to need to go back to its real roots. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that 
is back underground. You mean nationally or globally? Um, globally. I mean, like, if you look at, let's say, Russia right now, Russia right now is about to have a boom in rap hip-hop because now they've lifted something up to where now they can express themselves a little more or something. Mm-hmm. And now there's, a, there's this booming thing of Russian rappers. Mm-hmm. Um, I know this because this, these people, they hit me from Russia. They're like, hey, man, we still want to bring you over, you know? Was that Versus? What's that? Versus Are You? Like the battle... Uh, no, no, no. It's not no battle thing. These are promoters that are trying to book Dirty Worms. Yeah, they got a hell of promoters over there yeah, in Russia. Yeah. And so I tell them, I say, well, I got to bring my own people. And it's really just a scheduling thing. When the guy mm-hmm. hits me, he's hitting me on a level of like, hey, so uh, next week. I'm like, damn. I'm like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. dude, we're going to need way more time than that, dude. Mm. Go to Russia. You know what I mean? It's just things like that. And this communication thing. And it's, you know, it's a process. But I do feel like it will happen one day. Mm-hmm. And it'll happen when it's supposed to happen, even though I wish it would have happened a lot sooner. But we all wish a lot of things would. Um, I guess we can dial this. I want to go back, actually, to the okay. beginning. So you uh, you were raised in the Philippines, or you lived in the Philippines? No, I lived in the Philippines. You lived in the Philippines? I lived, I lived in the Philippines, Japan, and Korea. So, And then you, you moved to Southern California? Moved to Northern California. Northern California. I was already living in Northern California, and then we went overseas. Oh, I see. So that was... And then I lived in... I came back, lived in California, lived in Georgia, and then went back to California, mm-hmm. lived there, and then left California again mm-hmm. and came to Alabama. And then from mm-hmm. Alabama, I went in the military, ended up at Fort Hood, Texas, clean. Mm-hmm. came to austin seen the nightlife seen how bands were playing here every fucking night killing mm-hmm. it superstars mm-hmm. they were all local they were all doing their thing and i walked in the club and said what would it take for me to do a show in here and he said well we'll just give you a night and you can have the door and we'll take the bar and i was like tripping i was like what and everywhere i went they were saying that and so i would go back to the hood over there mm-hmm. on the east side and i say how come y'all are not doing no shows over there? They're giving you the fucking club. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. All you got to do is promote that you're going to be there. Yeah. And you get the door. I said, dude, this is like we're walking out of bank getting free money. Mm-hmm. And, and so we were able to do that for a long time. Now I think things are kind of different with the clubs now. Yeah. Uh, I things, mean... things in the future, what I already see coming with clubs, pretty soon you're going to have to sign some weird deal. Not with the club, I'm saying, but there's going to be a group. Yep. There's going to be a group of whatever organization it's going to be. You're going to have to basically sign a deal just to be able to perform in a fucking bar. Yeah, that's already that's already the case. You know. I mean, I already when seen I went that. to when I went to Canada, I think it was C3. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. They were like, I was like, yeah. So I was over there. I did a great night. It was packed out, all this stuff. So I said, yeah, let's look at the dates now and let's let's. Let me come back in a couple months. Doing they said, "Oh man, C three, you basically came in on the end of that deal to where they went ahead and allowed you to be able to do this show and granted what was already there, but from now on out they book everything, they handle everything." I'm like, yep. "What?" They're like, yep. "Yeah." I'm like, and I started noticing that's that's a lot of places that are doing that mm-hmm. because they got the deals through those artists. Like, hey, we'll book you. We're your personal. 
So now, if you want to get booked in the club, you're gonna to have to go do a deal with them. But mm-hmm. let's say they want to book Bruno Mars or Smackola, they're mm-hmm. gonna go with him. And then I'm just sitting there waiting for y'all to book me. So essentially, what I what I understand is that the venues sign a deal with the promoter promotion companies so that they cover the promotion companies cover the li- uh, music licensings for the building, like the the karaoke mm-hmm. nights and the and the. And the dance well, they basically floor, signed it over so that you book all the road acts that come through here and we don't have to do anything. We're just mm-hmm. the venue. Yeah. And I get it. I get why I did that. Like, that's a guaranteed, hey, yeah, I want big acts coming through here. Like, yeah, you're going to push them through here? Cool. But then it kills the local. It kills the next kid mm-hmm. that's out there like me. Because he can't get in now. Now he has to get in through another way. He pretty yeah. much has. He's probably he's probably gonna already let the game take fifty percent of his brand or his name or sixty percent of them before he can even just step in just to try to see if anyone likes it. Yeah. And that that's what I that's what I just feel like. Ah oh, man, that's that's crazy. We were like one of the last groups to come in off of that era. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, but it felt good to say that we were. You know, I'm bringing the dirty worms back. Shout out to Crash. Crash is really one that put that all together. Mm-hmm. And uh, but to bring it back and just to see the response from the people. I mean, I was in the gym and there was like five dudes and they're like, "Yo, you are the Dirty Worms guy." And I'm like, "Yeah." And they're like, "Yeah, we're coming to the show, man. We just heard that they're getting back together and we always see you with the gear." Mm-hmm. And the guy at the door was like, "Yeah, the guy, one of the guys from the Dirty Worms works out here all the time." <laughs> so it was cool just to see the reaction of people, and that makes me feel good because, like I said. For us to be an independent group and do it, that's why I don't understand when a lot of artists here or in Austin say, oh, I get love everywhere else. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, somebody got to like be into you here. Like, you know, we get love everywhere else too, but we're based out of here and people, you know, mm-hmm. that's weird. You know what I mean? I'm just like, I don't, I don't understand, but I do know that we're the last era of that. Right. Yeah. And... There's no more people helping people really anymore. Like Vallejo was a big help to us that got us in the door. Mm-hmm. And uh, But if it wasn't for Overlord doing what he was doing, it would have been harder for us to get in because now these owners, these club owners and stuff, they saw what Overlord was doing and they liked him. They liked him. Mm-hmm. So all Overlord had to do is go, oh, yeah, Dirty Worms? Yeah, they're cool. Boom, that got us in the door. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And now yeah. we did the same for other people. You know what I mean? We would do the same exact thing. Well, I don't but mean to now, like beat a dead horse here, horse here, though. Mm-hmm. But that even uh, let's say let's take Rainy Street for uh, for example. They don't want. They just don't want to hire anything but DJs. Like they're not doing any live music. They mm-hmm. the crowd. They they have a built-in crowd. Um, and because they just want to, they want to get the alcoholics in. Yeah, and. They want to get the alcoholic to come in there. But I, I bring hear, hear their favorite song on the radio. If I bring them on TV, if I bring them an artist that you know, and I've done it both ways, white and black, Asian. I I don't really know any Asian hip hop artists. I would if I if I a new one. Uh, bring them in, offer it, and they. I mean, there's different levels. They don't want hip hop in general. Uh, they. There's so much, you know what I mean? And and, it, yeah. and and I even feel like, ugh, 
I feel sick, you know what I mean, when I hear, when I start talking to these people. I mean, you can't really be mad at them for whatever they want at their venue, but it's just, everybody's got their thing, man. I just, I just, uh, it's just sad to see from the music scene that I've seen here in Austin that made me fall in love with Austin to call Austin my home and say, man, I'm moving from Sacramento. I'm going to live in Austin. I'm going to rep Austin because this is my new home. Because before, you know, like I said, I was growing up pretty much all around the world. Mm -hmm. And when I came here, it just something, it just spoke to me. And I just said, I like it here. Mm -hmm. There wasn't this real crazy ass crime going on, the type of shit that was going on in California. Like, motherfucker, get ready to fight out here or shoot somebody out here. There's so many warning signs. It's like, I'm just surprised people get shot out here. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah. it, it's like, there, there are certain things that are just not happening. And that's what made me fall in love with it. But there's so many things that are happening here. Mm -hmm. And it was, I was like, wow, man, there's a, you can go downtown every night of the week. There's a band or an artist playing somewhere. Mm -hmm. Even a little hole. I would go in little holes in the wall that probably hold like 100 people packed. Mm -hmm. And some people would say, there's only like 100 people in here. I'm like, dude, $10 a head, though, mm -hmm. on a Tuesday night, 8 o'clock, and you're doing what you love. Mm -hmm. She just paid her rent, and she's going to be here next Tuesday. Mm -hmm. See what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And oh, I, if just that's... Loved, I just yeah. loved it, dude. I was just like, wow, like, man, you know what I mean? Like... You could do so much, like, but I I see where everyone now is into the whole. They just have to have millions of fans, and it's like mm -hmm. that's not really real, though. That's not that. Like, that takes a lot. That's that's corporations are involved, and you know, to get you to that level, you know, you mm -hmm. gotta really be playing. There's gotta be people. There there's a definitely agenda of pushing you to get to that level. Mm -hmm. Um. But, you know, to each his own. I mean, I've, I've said to you before and I said to my friends, like, we would love to play Madison Square Garden because we would rock the fuck out of it. Mm -hmm. But it's not worth me giving up everything I worked for, sacrificed for, just to be able to stand on that stage, kill it, and for you to control my life now mm -hmm. because of it. Mm-hmm. Because the one thing I like to do is I like to do those things even in our most biggest heydays. Like, as you still see me do, I walk around with myself all the time. I go on stage, I do that stuff. That's just stuff we do on the stage. And we come off and it's like, what's up? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? We're not caught up in the whole, you know, because we work with rappers and people that have these extreme egos that even don't even need to be having them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We've never been the VIP types. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know how to explain. It's just different. It's different now. It's really more of a facade now than it was back then, even though it was it was a facade. The music business was a facade back then, too. But it's even now what I see now is they're just selling people on being famous or just being seen. Mm -hmm. You know, you see it in everything, well, especially on Instagram, like, the girls first started off, they were taking pictures with their ass to the camera. Then it's now they're wearing G string. Now they've got pasties on their titties. Now they, 
Now they're showing a little nipple, and now they're starting to show pubic hair, and now they're fucking... I mean, it's just like, it just keeps... It's this attention thing, like, mm-hmm. to where... And I get it, it's like all these endorphins, like... Or my, my homeboy, um, Toby, will be riding all the time. This dude's looking at his phone all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, you're addicted to it. You're addicted to just looking at your phone for information. And even though I can tell you all day long, I'm going to look over at you and you're looking at your phone. Mm-hmm. We're in the movies. You're looking at your phone. We're driving down this fucking street. You're looking at your phone. Mm-hmm. We were at this little event last night. You're, you're looking at your phone. It's mm-hmm. like, and, you, and I'm watching. I just watch him. And he's scrolling, mm-hmm. and like just taking in information. But he's not the only one. I see a lot of people do that, and I'm like, wow. And I thought I was bad, but I'm not even that bad. Like I do it because I'm promoting something. Mm-hmm. He's doing catching up on the headlines. What's the latest headline news thing? Oh, what happened now? Oh, oh, what, 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 what happened now? What, what happened now? See, what I'm saying. Yeah. Um. So we're in that era now. And so these labels are able to push you to people's phones mm-hmm. and keep you in there. And as you see what it is, and I, I'm not even trying to shit on the, the new young artists, but I mean, let's just think about it. Like, we're not talking about their music. We're talking about some antics they did. We're talking about an argument they had or a fight they had. And if we do talk about the music, you're not really talking about the music. And people might disagree with me on that, but I say this. You're not talking about their music. You're talking about the numbers they did. Mm-hmm. But you're not talking about the record and what it meant to you, what it did for you, how it changed your life. <laughs> or, you know, back in my day, like, they were talking about records like that. Like, the record, like, oh, what do you think he's talking about on this bar right here? Or, oh, you see the way he put this together? Like, oh, that's the, oh, this connects with the song from he had from the there's none of that going on. It's just people just saying some shit and how outrageous and shock value can we get? But there's no message really. Yeah. And yeah. Let's go back to the industry real quick. So tomorrow night is, and you brought this, you brought up his name earlier, but Marilyn Manson and Rob Zombie are playing at Mm -hmm. Austin 360 tomorrow. Mm -hmm. You know, you brought him up and is like, how come these larger acts aren't putting local artists on before they perform? I remember, yeah, I remember the last we'll time I saw that at that level was, I think I saw, I, I, I can't even, I don't even remember if this is real, but I saw Little Wayne. I know that I went to the, the event at the Travis County Expo Center back in like 2011 or 10. I went to a Little Wayne concert, and he had brought on some local acts prior. We were to supposed to be one of them. Oh, really? We were supposed. To be, that, that's what I mean by we're we're the last band of that era of all that stuff. Like when Corn came here, mm-hmm. they performed at the Expo Center. I got a call, I think two days before it happened, mm-hmm. and it was uh, the, the road manager or somebody. I think it was the road manager. And he was like, hey, this man, I don't even know how he got my number. Well, he got my number through one of the guys at the Expo Center. Mm-hmm. And he said, hey, um, we're looking to book Dirty Worms. Um, the band really likes you guys and would like to have you guys come open up for this ESPN thing. Because you know, I think they like to do stuff like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And we were like, hell fucking yeah. Like, 
what? We're personally being invited to do this? You know what I mean? I was like, mm-hmm. fuck yeah. And so that put us out there even more too because it wasn't like a group. Of, it, was, it wasn't like us and then another group and another group and then corn. It was us and then corn. On the mm-hmm. same stage, big stage, big sound, all that shit, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean by we're the last of that era. So what you're talking about like that, like how people, like how Marilyn Manson or them or, you know, I don't even think that's that's not even something up to them. They're just being booked. And whatever company that put that together or tour, that, that's a tour package. But back well, in the day, what they yeah. would have did was that tour packet would have had a local group from here opening up. I do know what you're talking about. Like, and that's what I miss. Like that doesn't happen anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, at least not in Austin or it's not happening in Austin no more, but it used to happen all the time. I've seen mm-hmm. my friends Vallejo open up for all kind of big motherfuckers. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so when that happened with us with corn, we were like, Oh hell yeah. And then I remember, um, David Draymond was like, yeah, if we do a show here. You know, we'll get y'all on. I was like, fuck yeah, disturbed. So we we're like ca- counting all the bands, we're going to be able to get up under our belt. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And just around that same time, like I said, it wasn't just a racial thing. It was around the same time the industry was changing. Uh, the, the, the socialness of people were kind of now they're, they're showing their true colors a little mm-hmm. bit. All that shit was changing. It was all these things going on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, fuck i mean you just name it it was just there was so many things not just one thing you know what i mean it was yeah. so many things that were changing the landscape of it all mm-hmm. and i miss that though man and that's why i said like i feel bad because there's a kid out there that could probably blow us out the water but mm-hmm. he's never going to get that chance really i can't say he's never going to get the chance but in a way he's never going to get the chance to have the experience like how we did where you you would have shit like that happen. Yeah. Now he's all, gotta go through all, a company and it's gotta yeah. be controlled and oh my god, dude, just fucking like. The episode I did last was with uh, the founders of this new festival that's coming to Austin, Waterloo Fest, kind of a jam band festival. But they're they're a production company or a promotions company that's like one level under C three or. Actually, I guess two two levels under C three because they they're basically owned by Giant Noise, and Giant Noise is basically owned by C three, which is ultimately basically owned by Live Nation, and yeah, see, <laughs> it's all the fucking so it's like all connected. We were talking to uh, I was talking to you about the G Easy stuff and my situation, what was going on with how I had had access to the G uh, to the logic stuff. And then the next moment because of a circumstance, I didn't have access to the G easy mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily the artists that are the ones calling the shots anymore. Yeah, no, Mm-mm. you know what I mean? The artist is just playing his part. Hey, they, they got me here. Have the times. They're not even like you. You could have said to one of those guys, Hey man, tell Jeezy the trance here. He knows me from blah, blah. He ain't even going to go tell him. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like it's not even gonna happen. And and as I was telling you, that's that's another big part of the rap game. I just didn't like, man. It was like, is that because like all the ass kissing? Is shit. that because that they're like scared that. to lose their their position? And well, because everybody's trying. Everybody's controlled by somebody, and everyone's mm-hmm. just trying to do what they're told. 
You mm. see this all the time when you see security dudes at a show or something. Mm-hmm. And it'll be something simple, but the security guy can't figure it out. It's like, dude, I mean, you can't put this together. Like, oh, you don't get to call any shot. No, you got to do this. Can't, can't be here. Can't. Be. You know what I'm talking about? When you mm-hmm. see shit like that and you're yeah. like, you mean you can't make a call? Like, you, you don't know how to see that where this is wrong or something to fix it or help us mm-hmm. out. Yeah. You know, people don't want to lose their positions. People don't want to, it reminds me, I was watching They Live last night, like how the dude was saying, man, I just got this job, man. Don't be over there giving a fuck about what they're doing. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we're not trying to be involved, man. I just got this job, man. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to, uh, you know, be cool, find my comfortable, even though, yeah, it's some bullshit, I'm trying to find my comfortability in the bullshit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's kind of like the same thing. Like they just, they don't want to ruffle any feathers because a lot of those people do have strong egos and it's not even the artist that has the ego as big as the guy. That's probably his road manager. Mm-hmm. Not even his road manager, but like the, no, PA. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just giving an example. Like it's not even going to be the artist. The artist is going to be real cool. Yeah. Usually the road manager or whoever they put in charge of something is going to be the one that feels like he's got to flex his power of I'm denying you to meet him. Because mm-hmm. I don't like you. See what I'm saying? Mm. It, it's the same thing as how I had about Austin as far as whenever there's big shows here. They don't grab the right artist to put on with the other artists and hook him up. Like, well, I don't like that guy. Well, who gives a fuck if you like him or not? That guy's the difference between us getting spotlighted or not. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Put him there so that he can blow up and hopefully he'll bring more attention. He can bring somebody else up. Mm-hmm. But y'all don't want that shit to happen, and usually it comes from these DJs or other people that have the plug but won't plug you, mm-hmm. and you're just like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. But you go to other cities and shit, they're all plugging each other. Yeah, and they still they all have some little bullshit going on between them too, but it, it's all going on, and, and that's the difference that we see between the rock crowd and the hip hop crowd. Mm-hmm. The hip hop crowd is all about clout. Mm-hmm. It's all about who. Look at me. I'm a star. Mm-hmm. I'm somebody. I I came out the womb rich. Mm. I came out the womb not struggling. I'm 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 just doing great. I get to live. I get to show you my life on Instagram, and oh, I'm just living a life. And I'm gonna tell you every day how blessed I am. But if you talk to one of those people that are saying that, they're gonna tell you how miserable they actually are. Mm-hmm. And so. And then when I'm in the rock crowd, like the rock crowd doesn't really have an ego like that. It's more of like, yeah, man, just come out, jam, have a good time and rock out. But they do have little funny things they do, mm. but it's not like on some rap shit. Like I just heard the thing with Tiana Taylor and them, Tiana Taylor and whoever that guy is, Jamera or somebody that she's on tour with. Mm. And just hearing the antics they do, but I'd always hear those little antics through the years like, oh, so-and-so put pepper spray, put pepper spray in their smoke machine. Mm-hmm. So that when they shoot the smoke out, all the fans in the front row are gonna be like, "What the fuck, man? Oh. Spray my eye. Yeah, I mean, shit like that be going on, dude. And that's why I be trying to tell crews, I'm like, "Look, your crew has to be tight because you can't just let people do certain things. You got, hey, man, just nah, man, just because people get jealous and do funny ass shit." Mm. And she was saying, "Yeah, somebody came out there and poured water all over the stage. You know, I'm gonna be dancing. I'm gonna fall and bust my." They're now they're on the same tour together, competing against each other, but mm-hmm. in a way that's not healthy. Like it's like no. y'all are trying to sabotage each other. 
I mean, it should just be about the the actual like. But it but it happens. It should be, but it does happen. And when it happens, it's just like, I see that more with rap than anything. I'm just like, man, what what is it like? Why can't you be great and they be great too? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's the same thing with this battle. You know what I mean? It's, it's like there's certain rules and regulations and things you do, but it's just like I don't know, man. It's just it's a different era now. So there's a stretch though. I mean, you guys are. You guys are close in age, but there's a stretch in 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 the experience and overall. Well, let's get into it. Let's get into the battle. Tell me what you tell me. You tell me what you think. It's a stretch. You're telling me it's a stretch of what? What exactly? He has he has to get into a bag to even come close to what you're you're bringing to the table. I mean, there's just so much. There's so much that he would have to be doing in order to perform even at half the level that you're going to be performing at. Like we talked about, he's mm-hmm. not been, you know, rehearsing that much or putting out. Well, I don't promos. know if he's. I don't know if he's been rehearsing. I heard. But, he was let's rehearsing. let's be honest. Like in today's day and age, you need to yeah, show people that post you're rehearsing. everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you need so, to show yeah, it, and he's not doing that. And, you know, where where is him contacting all the dancers in Austin saying, hey, will you do this for me if I do this for you, dot, dot, dot? You know what I mean? There's a lot of this. I mean, but there there could there could be that going on, though. I mean, this could be, which I, I, I don't know, but, I mean, it wouldn't be my strategy, but it could be a strategy to act like he's just coming in half-assed and he comes in there full cock like a motherfucker. You know what I mean? I can't, I don't never underestimate anybody anybody yeah you would i think never underestimate that's why that's why every time we've approached the show we go in there to kill it we don't assume that we're gonna be the bet or do no we're we're going in all the way full on yeah we we don't have time to, oh we ain't we ain't gotta do no let's let's reach our full potential i don't right. care if i don't care about what they're doing and let's just do us mm-hmm. we're not trying to out we're not trying to outdo somebody no, but you Let's are. Let's do us to our fullest potential. You're trying to outdo yourself. Yeah, exactly. But you are so. It, it is a performance battle. So you are yeah. you are trying to outperform whatever. But all but all I'm gonna do is just perform my best to my fullest ability. Yeah, of course, yeah. and that's nothing that that's what everybody expects. Now I do think, from experience, I probably do have a little more experience because I think I have the type of songs that I can perform live that are going to put me in that position. Mm, mm. So whenever I'm in the studio recording with other artists too, I always tell them, I say, you should do songs that you, you're at the stage now of promoting yourself. So all the songs that you should really be kind of doing now, these should be songs that you could do live. And these should be songs that you need to be in the studio thinking, okay, I'm going to perform this on stage. So you're going to be taking him to lengths that he may not have the uh, catalog now, to go to. Yeah, yeah, but I may be biased, but I'm gonna say I don't think anybody can fuck with us like that. I don't think anybody. I'm not calling names. I'm just saying I don't think anybody can because we're gonna do us. Mm-hmm. But within the sense of that, again, just me being wise, I can't just assume that he doesn't have it. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. I'm not going to assume because when you start doing stuff like that, that's when you lose. Yeah. I mean, if he's so I'm just going to I'm just going to go full. So I would think he's practicing. I don't know. Now, just because I haven't seen it, because I don't show everybody every single practice I do, but you have seen them. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I can't, I can't assume that. I just, I, I hope he's prepared for it because I would be, you know, I would have probably maximized more uh, promotional promotion out of it than I've seen him do. Well, I don't mean to be like super negative to him, but he was on some shenanigans with the hip hop award stuff that I told you about. So that that's what leads me to be like negative towards him in any way is because he just kind of like he alienated a lot of people in the hip hop awards. That leads me to believe that something like this, he's got to really. Well, it's time to show and prove. Yeah. Um. But again, for the people that don't know probably what happened, like if you go on a video show and you call someone out based on I mean, that's what he did. I know, I know he tried to slip around, mm-hmm. but he gave me a backhanded compliment. You know, this is a guy that I looked out for, put him on some shows, you know, helped him out in that sense. Yeah, we've joked with each other and done things, but some of the some of the jokes only go so far because I already know where I am as an artist and I'm not trying to crush another artist. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be like, hey, man, I'm better than you or I'm whatever, you know what I mean? But at the end of the day, hip-hop does have a competitive sport to it. Mm-hmm. And when you get on a show and you make a claim like, I'm the best in Austin, there's nobody better than me performing-wise, and the only person y'all would say that is probably better than me is Smackle of the Dirty Worms. And right now... Smackola can't fuck with me. I seen a show. I did a show with him on South by Southwest that he put me on. And I didn't even stick around for the show. But I saw a video of the show. And by that video alone, when I saw that, I knew that I was better than him. Now, I took that as a disrespectful backhanded comment like, Okay, you're on your high horse and you jumped out the window. Because you could have felt that you were the best. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you brought me into it and tried to compare it, in this day and age of show and proving, like, like you were just saying, uh, that ain't going to fly, man. Now you're going to have to back that shit up. Mm-hmm. I didn't come at you on no violent shit. Man, I'm going to pull up on you and you know we're going to fight. You know, I didn't do no shit like that. I challenge you to a battle now. I clowned his ass, too, because that's what you're dealing with, you know. So I clowned you, challenged you to this battle to, okay, well, let's show and prove it. Let's make it be something. It organically took off on its own. Okay. Uh, for those of you who don't know and are listening, the, he's talking about an interview that was on the White Brothers uh, Facebook page and podcast. And it was talking about basically that the Austin hip hop scene and, and his, and George Von Doom's opinion on it. And then that episode, the next week was followed up as basically, uh, another shot directly at my podcast from the, the white brother saying that smack was going to come on here and that the white brother 
and and George had put together this whatever it was and I was going to benefit from that content. I don't think that this was something that was fabricated or that you know no, George cuz many cuz you know what, you know what? there's 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 other people that have interviewed me that I don't think they benefited from it. They just, this is what happened. Hey, what happened? We heard about this and blah, blah, mm-hmm. you know. No different than anything. So, if, Well, the man, the man White Brother told me to I, suck his Fox, dick. If, if Fox so, I mean, News like, told me to come dick, do an interview you. about it, I mean, I'd go do it. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as, yeah, the White Brother telling you that, I mean, I don't really know where all that, anger hostility comes from when it's like y'all are media outlets i don't know why but it goes back to that austin thing too of like mm-hmm. i've seen austin go through a phase of where everyone just had to be against the other person there can only be one rapper mm-hmm. there can only be one dj like it's like it's like i don't get it that's why we don't have anything like you can't just be the only one in the entire city how many people live in austin there's a lot of different lanes Obviously. That's what I'm saying. There's, it, there's it's like just, so many things. So you know, you got the I, I, I don't, cast. I don't really know where that comes from. That's always been weird to me. I guess because I've been around such major shit mm-hmm. that I just look at it like I think it's great for what all y'all are doing. I think it's mm-hmm. great that you have a podcast. White brother has a podcast. That hell, I'm waiting on T Double to start one. That's gonna be a good one. Uh, yeah, I would definitely I mean, like just, to help if there is just if, just if he's got all that stuff, you know, uh, Nook doing what he's doing with mm-hmm. the community, and I just look at all these different things and go, okay, that's all great. Why can't we just create a lane and mm-hmm. everybody can coexist? I don't know. I just don't that that part to me it doesn't it doesn't make sense. I well, don't know. On my side of of the thing, it's uh, there's a lot of uh, finding out about new th- new outlets that are beginning. I've seen a lot of outlets that have come and gone, uh, and they were all talking about different genres of music or different genres of art in the Austin area. And there's becoming like certain studios uh, that are like perpetuating the podcast, live broadcast, pirate radio uh, forward. It seems, though, that the most successful... Uh, podcasts are the ones that are a little less, little a little dirtier uh, in the sense that they're like they're of not course as, yeah of you course know, like more co- it's a uh, shock yeah like the Kobe well not I mean like the production the production uh, is a little less uh, clean you know what I mean uh, it has yeah. a little bit more flavor culture to it the the Cobra cast that he's doing in uh, in his uh, like his own home studio uh, the White Brother which is sort of like I don't know what I don't know what he's doing exactly but he's got like a green screen it's not like super high quality you know that's all right doing its thing uh the guys over or the girl over there doing uh royalties ATX she's putting together a couple of different versions I think I think that really hasn't been that uh professional broadcast person yet in the in this new digital radio market i think that that's something that that's coming up i think you build to it i mean howard stern mm-hmm. just didn't come out the gate being who he was yeah you know what i mean but so I'm sure i think it's just, I, I mean look at look at look at look at like i, I said before look at joe button 
To me, really, he's the fucking ringleader of that shit. Mm-hmm. He was doing that back in the uh, YouTube uh, MySpace days. Mm-hmm. So when I look at where he's at now with the pull-up, mm-hmm. look how much better it looks with all the other ones. Now, what's going to be the next one he does? Like he's working his way towards all that. You see what I'm saying? Well, the most successful one was him incorporating his friends in the Joe Yeah, Button that's a podcast. good one too. Yeah. You know, but when you but when I saw the pull up one that you're talking about, like with T Pain, yeah, just the way it looked and how it was said and how they shot it, that looked real. That looked like oh, it's some, real crisp, real yeah. clean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it looked it looked good, and I just think he's a good interviewer and he's a good, you know what I mean. Well, so is like you saw the uh, rap radar Elliot Wilson Jay Z. I just I saw a little snippet of it where he did with Nicki Minaj. I haven't really watched one yet. Also oh, a new one. Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. He I like what they're doing. I also really like what uh Beats One does with uh I'm gonna forget that guy's name right now, the guy from Australia, the Aussie. Uh that guy I like what he does they do. I like the Breakfast Club, I like Ebro, I like I can I consume this content and I'm as a professional working toward that level, but they signed a deal you know they signed their deal to iheart or clear channel to get to that right. point right. i'm i'm looking at these clear channel iheart deals and the opportunities for someone like me who's an entrepreneurial spirit is way different than when they sign those deals yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't know but i, I kind of know what you're talking about now i don't know where this is going to be you know 10 years from now because 10 years from now you might be a you know an, a voice actor or a radio host and you're signing a uh, a real competitive deal to what it is today with a traditional terrestrial radio uh, deal though but, I mean it's a whole different yeah. it's a gamut but it's almost but what, parallel. but what I'll say that I do like about the new podcast styles that aren't so professionally crisp and all that i feel like they're actually more honest mm-hmm. like what me and you are doing right now is more honest it's just like it's a conversation it's not really like you're i just feel like it's an interview but it's not you know mm-hmm. what i mean it's kind of like we're just talking about it mm-hmm. people could be driving their car listening to this and it's just like we're just listening to a conversation yeah but I feel like it's more honest. I'm not gonna try to be all. Oh, let me try to be politically correct because our advertisers and you know, because when you're on shit like that, you do have to think about shit like that. Something I've noticed though is that with the like the individuals that are like just popping or these artists that are coming off of SoundCloud, Instagram, or Twitter or wherever, and I'm having an interview with them, is that you got to get it when it's hot and. It's it's more difficult than something like you who has you know a catalog of 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 records has a long long history uh, to talk and I'm not I'm not trying to make this an age thing but it's a, a an experience and professionalism thing. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, as I say, there's as I tell young artists all the time, they'll even say to me, "Well, smack your old now. You don't know." I said, one day you're going to be old. Mm-hmm. I said, but I'll tell you what, I may be old, but let me you get up on that stage right now. Mm-hmm. 
and this old ass going to dust your ass. I'm going to dust you bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And because your idea of being putting on a good show or being crunk is the fact that you're just jumping up and down, swinging your braids. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, my God. Like, you, you think because you do that that your show, you put on a better show. No, that's that's not it. Because you got louder. No. Mm-hmm. Because you're jumping around the whole time. No. That's hilarious. It, it, needs, it, needs to be, it needs to be put together. Yeah, that's hilarious. How did you go from that one song to the next song for it to make sense? How, yeah. how did you transition that? How did you impact the crowd to where you know that the crowd's looking at you? And they're taking it in the way they're supposed to take it in. They go, man, that was deep. Or I understood every single, even though he's rapping hella fast, I understood every fucking word he said. Mm-hmm. It didn't sound muffled. He's not rapping over his vocals. See, you're going to come up here rapping over your vocals. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to just be able to get spontaneous and go off this way. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, just things like that. You know what I'm saying? So. I see the age difference, but that's only in hip hop, man. It's only in the hip hop genre that this is even a even a, a conversation. Mm-hmm. No, it's, you know? it, it is in the rock. No, well. dude, because if I'm telling you, fucking Marilyn Manson and Rob Zombie are performing tomorrow. Tomorrow, that shit's gonna be packed. I I, I hear what you're saying at, at, <laughs> you know at what that saying? level, but there's there's from what I've experienced at like the the hardcore or the death metal uh, scene there's there are there are like the signed artists and there are the underground scene and while there's kind of a respect there's also like you don't know what the fuck you're talking about yeah but i think that's across the board as far Mm -hmm. as society in general like the youth have lost respect for older people but it's Mm -hmm. being promoted like that to them it's both ways though it's both ways it it, it, it kind of yeah I, I can see it being both ways but I I see where it's coming from though it's coming because the young is not mm-hmm. respecting the guys that have done it and so mm-hmm. it makes the guys that have done it go what the fuck are you talking about because mm-hmm. you don't know what you're talking about you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. like that's just straight up it's like so when you got one of these older guys trying to tell one of these younger dudes like hey man you should move like this and the younger guys like you don't know what you're talking about I was like dude I've been in here more than twenty years. Mm-hmm. You're not finna do nothing new. Yeah. You're finna get fucked if you don't do this, if you don't do that. You're gonna look back and wish that you did this or did that, but y'all don't have what what it was the name say y'all y'all don't have OGs. Y'all got IG. Yeah. Who did say that? Was you that know? Noriega? I don't know who said it, but, <laughs> but I don't remember. Somebody yeah, said it. I remember. He, I remember hearing that and, as well. And it's kind of like it's true because you don't have nobody to guide you. See, we had I had people to guide me. Mm-hmm. I had people. Like when I first met Busta Rhymes and Tretch from Naughty mm-hmm. by Nature and Vinny, mm-hmm. when those dudes talk, and my, even my friend Willie D from Ghetto Boys, mm-hmm. when he talks or tells me something about the industry, mm-hmm. I don't debate with him. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't even give him my opinion. I listen, and mm-hmm. I. I had. I. Um, I learned the art of that a long time ago. The art of listening. Let's uh, you, when when you're talking to people usually today, they don't have they don't have that skill to listen. But to be the they're, devil's they're advocate listen, they're, here, they're listen, they're listening to reply. To be the they're not, for, they're not just listening. To be the devil's advocate here, though, what about mm-hmm. those those guys like a Fifty Cent that signed a deal way too early, and 
uh, you know, you see these these kids now getting uh, hella deals, like 360 deals, million dollar contracts out the gate, mm-hmm. but have no experience. Like, as yeah, I, I kind of feel like, I mean, you gotta really. It's tricky because, like you said, everyone likes to show everything on Instagram, right? Mm-hmm. Man, if you were really around half these dudes and saw where they were living, dude, you'd be like, what? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I see with all this jewelry on, all this shit. Show me your house, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Show me the outside of that motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Show me just your, your living room. Mm-hmm. They ain't showing you that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They're not doing it like how, what's his name, uh, Floyd Mayweather's walking around doing some shit, showing you his shit. Mm-hmm. So when they can get Floyd, he's showing you his shit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You don't see none of these other guys doing that. Right. You'd be shocked. Well, But because most people hear these $30 million deals, $10 million deals, man, but what they're not realizing is, let's say an artist gets signed for $20 million. He's not getting $20 million. Mm-hmm. His whole budget of them spending is gonna be that. Mm-hmm. He's not walking away with none of that in his pocket. Then they're gonna put him up in a house that they're probably renting out for him. Mm-hmm. And the day that he can't do it anymore, or can't uh, you know push out music or whatever it is, or they decide to drop him and go with someone else, guess what? He's out. Mm-hmm. It's not his. Those so- days are gone. Is there room for a a person like a, a Zane Lowe or a Rick Rubin or um, shit? What's his name? Uh, I can't remember his name. The the top level producers in the digital age, because record selection for radio is a lot different than record selection, I guess, for the digital platforms. Right, because now it's all just keyboard-based mm-hmm. beats. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I really don't even listen to radio no more. I just, you know, like even when I'm in the clubs, there's not really a, unless I'm just trying to have a good time, I'm not really into a lot of stuff I hear because it's the same topic, conversation over and over. You got to remember, I lived through the era as a youngster, as in my up until my probably I was twenty five, mm-hmm. the club would end with slow songs, slow jams, and you would actually go get a girl, and y'all would grind it out on the dance floor mm-hmm. before the club closed. Mm. You don't do that anymore. Yeah, I always a, sit. I always yeah. sit back and go, "Wow, man!" Like I lived through the era of the slow dance. They would play some fast songs, fast songs. Blah, blah, blah. Then they put on some slow jams, and you would go ask a girl to dance, and y'all would dance. And that was the shit. I think we're about that's to go what down y'all another are trying road, to do. Though. What's we're that? Gonna, we're going to go around the road that, you know, uh, the fact that the industry, that society is being um, pussified, or they're, they're turning, you know. Well, if you're loving your woman, you're not really probably spending money on drinks. But if you're but if you're trying to put your dick up on some holes on the dance floor, you're buying shots. Mm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't know if that's that. a real thing, but that's just how I look at it. Like, I just look at it going, well, 
they probably sell more if they're playing music that is like making the girls shake their ass and you want to get up on it. Now you're naturally going to say to her, what, hey, do you want a drink? Because the drunker she gets, right? I was I was I was thinking of saying that, but then the narrative even is now that you know the little Uzi verts or the little pumps or everything they're all bisexual or like homosexual. And well, yeah, we see that no, coming. There's no like there, where there's no slow jams to to being uh, like like that, and then th- th- these guys are that closetly, you know what I mean. It's not like they're that much. Well, it's becoming more public, right? But yeah, and that's weird too. You see, dudes slow, slow dancing on the at the end of the night. So it has it, it has its you know cons and ends and its benefits because those you know you don't want to see that as a, a heterosexual male or heterosexual female, you know, in in the club. You'd rather you rather see you know. Fifth Street do its thing. Sixth Street do its thing. Seventh East, seventh six. Do yeah, I mean, thing. I feel that. I mean, I don't want to see two dudes slow dancing, but yeah, I'm just saying for the clubs I hang out at. I mean, pretty much nowadays they're hanging out their own clubs, so mm-hmm. I don't. You know, you don't really see. You're not gonna really see that like that. But yeah. what I'm saying is there is a big difference though in the vibe of you going out that's missing because part of you really going out to a club is to meet a girl. Yeah. And so now all y'all just turning up. And so what I see in the club is everybody's turning up so much that all the girls are in a section. All the guys are in a section. They got a bottle. They're over there. doing, And it's just like this very, it's just, it's just different. Yeah. Well, from my generation, uh, sexualization and like romance was real demonized. Uh, well, your generation too. Well, y'all have a bad thing is y'all are uh, socially awkward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, because your removed. generation we're, has a bunch removed. of socially awkward people. Like the dudes don't even know how to talk to girls. No, because we've and been be talking like, to them on the a phone for for yeah. all, for all like either online or yeah, or you're texting yeah. them and shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, man, it's like I said. So it affects everything. It's just. Everything across the board, but I'm just happy I, I was in the era where I lived and seen that and been in it, and wow, it's just like, a, it's just totally different. But I guess that's why I look at music different. Mm-hmm. I think most of the rappers that you see nowadays, they're just rapping to be rapping. Like, when you really start asking the questions, they don't even know nothing about the culture. Mm-hmm. You know, they just like to rap. And most of these people that claim that they like hip-hop and like, no, you don't like hip hop. You just like beats. What's the room for like a a female MC in Austin? Um, uh, it's kind of it's. I think it's still it's it's still wide open. I mean, there it's are really some hilarious. out here. There are some out here doing their thing. Yeah. Um, I think they have it a little harder, of course, because again, how many female promoters are there that are going to book them? Most male promoters that are probably going to book a female artist, is, you're going to have one. Yeah. Rarely do you – if you go to a hip-hop show and there is a female on, even we've tried to do this. We'll try to have one. Mm-hmm. You know, but you're not going to really see two female artists and then two guys. You, you're, that'll be a rarity. Not to say it hasn't happened. I'm just saying it's very rare. Uh, 
or if you do see a show with females, usually it's an all-female show, which is cool because males do all-male shows all the time. Yeah, that's that and, seems cool though. I'm and in my era, that. there was always at least a female performer of some type because you mm-hmm. want to mix it up. You want to, you know what I'm saying? But uh, yeah. not to shit on the females. So any of y'all hearing me right now, they're gonna be mad at me and shit. Um, no, what you're saying is, is some a, females are just lot. hard. They're they're harder to work with for some reason. Just oh, that's okay. been my. I'm gonna say that's been my experience. Mm-hmm. They're it's very hard to work with a female artist because I don't. Well, I'm, I'm not even gonna say the reason why I think it is. It just is for some reason. It just here's it here's never a good goes, way to, It never it, goes really smooth. At here's all. a good way to like illustrate it. How much do you think it cost for Nicki Minaj to buy out a week? Of no release, no new released music. What is that? Like literally, have you heard any new music from, from like mainstream artists? Um, she's. I have to imagine that they shelved a lot of content so that she could her voice could be heard, right? Oh yeah. Well, it depends who signs to their label. I mean, I mean, look, look. All if all the labels are like kind of under the same umbrella. But I know if you're the main person, whether you're female or male, mm-hmm. a lot of y'all got shelved just for her record to come out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know what? You know what'd be a cool podcast mm. is to hear from those people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. If there was an if there was an avenue for people, this might be it might be on to something. If there was an avenue for those artists. That was shelved that you never got to hear from. Yeah. Because if you've been to LA and you've met some of these guys mm-hmm. and girls that have been shelved and you hear some of their shit, you'll be like, How in the fuck did you never come out? Right. How is that even possible? Because when you hear the talent level I think that the those individuals will be extremely uh scared. They're smart. No, they're smart. Yeah. Actually. And what ends up happening is you're not the go-along, get-along. So we put you over here. Oh, you want to talk about what? Oh, yeah. Well, we don't want you to talk about that. We just want you to talk about, you know, Louis Vuittons yeah. and uh, Lexus. You, can you mention Lexus buying or BMW in your rhyme? <laughs> yeah, because, you know... We get some kickbacks for that. That's advertising. That's free advertisement. Yeah. You don't. You don't. I don't hear artists talking about their own brand or a well-known brand, hip-hop brand. Mm-hmm. They're naming Italian brands. They're naming these rich companies like, I want a Maybach. Mm-hmm. I want a fucking Mercedes. Yeah. See, what I'm saying like that's. You're you're basically advertising. You're you're basically advertising. Hip hop is advertising. So that that kind of leads me to believe why the uh, Nicki Minaj album is 19 songs long is because she has to say all of that advertisement and then she gets to say whatever little thing she wants to say. You know, and then when you compare that to the Iggy Azalea album, which is much shorter. She's just doing all that flexing, uh, talking advertisement. And I mean, there's some 
conversation about yeah we honestly talk- i i haven't heard any of those albums <laughs> we we talked about iggy before uh yeah about how she was um she was dating uh someone you knew and then i guess that's the separation that she's talking about on the album and then uh she uh the issues with ti and whatnot so this album is kind of coming off of that and so that's yeah it kind of related more to well, me. whoever's backing iggy i'll say this they put a lot of money behind her mm-hmm. and as you see that one year whatever that was when she just took over the airwaves Mm-hmm. You didn't hear anybody really riding around bumping that, or it, it wasn't like this demand like that. But she was all over the radio. But again, she was put in the machine. Mm-hmm. So your idea of her is blown up. So even though everybody would talk all that shit about her, let her come here to do a concert. Mm-hmm. Watch how many people would be down there. To like a like it'll a, be Pat. It'll be yeah. Pat. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, because it's not—it's no longer really about. It's just about the fact that what I see with uh, the youngsters now is they're just looking at people that are popular. Mm-hmm. It's just the fact they're popular, mm-hmm. and no doubt they're probably liking their music. Like uh, I, I believe that this is the music of the generation. I don't want to sound all like that, but the main component is the fact that they're popular. Because look at what everybody's even doing on Instagram. Everybody wants to be popular. Mm-hmm. Everybody's either taking a picture or doing something that's making them popular, or well, popularity equals or, or there's a lot of vanity, right? Yeah. Well, popularity even even when I even when I, even if I take a selfie, because sometimes I take a selfie because I just don't have any content, so I'm like, fuck, let me just take a selfie and make a make a fucking comment or you know you know a what quote. one thing though, and it's like yeah. it's like what. When I see it all, though, I'm just like, wow, man, there's a lot of fucking narcissism. Well, I want to, I want to, I want to acknowledge what you're saying here. You know, you you do a lot of those those selfies, but they almost kind of verify like the work, hard work that you put in in music and in your appearance. You know, and I. From time to time, it'll hit my feed, but I like these bad bitches. So you know, they coming up bad bitches all the time. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so like, um, with a Nicki Azalea or or Nicki Minaj or anything like that, you know, popularity equals attention. Attention equals influence. Influence equals money, right? Market mm-hmm. dollars, marketing dollars. So, I mean, a lot of it is fabricated because you can, like we were talking before, you can buy likes you can buy followers you can buy you know botted accounts well, like i said Nicki minaj has 90 million followers mm-hmm. 90 million but if her record only sold 135,000 compared to 90 million mm-hmm. that is seeing this man that's you need ninety million just to do that. Mm-hmm. See what I'm saying? Yeah. But you don't, because there's artists out here doing less than that, way less. Shit, ours is way less. Mm. But you see what I'm saying? And and she's on a label. Mm-hmm. She's big time. Do you see what I'm saying? So, the industry has sold people the facade of fame. I caught what you did right there. What's that? What big time, 
She's big time, big timers. Slim and baby. <laughs> she's big time. Like she's, she's not no Rudy Pooh artist. Mm-hmm. She's had hits. She's as big as she's gonna be. She's hit the, the plateau. Hmm. But if you have ninety million followers, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, is one hundred thirty-five thousand still fucking good but I'm just saying when you really look at it and you're like wouldn't it wouldn't it look cooler if she had 200,000 followers and she did 135 see what I'm saying wouldn't no. it now seem a little more like the margin is like okay that makes sense million millions millions in the ceiling you know millions yeah everybody everybody saw in this millions thing when you really think about it you're like millions for real Mm-hmm. Millions, mm-hmm. millions of people, but she only sold one hundred thirty-five thousand mm-hmm. out of ninety million. Even if she just had a million and she hit one thirty-five, that would seem more. See, what I'm saying. Yeah. But and ninety, and, and they're trying to push. If she the... had ten million and did one hundred thirty-five thousand, you'd be like, mm. but ninety million. They're trying to push the album through, like, Safari and her arguing. Well, that's what I'm saying. No one's talking about the music. They're talking about all the antics. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like, so, again, I woke up this morning to read the Franklin Pass, man. I'm listening to the songs and everything, reminiscing. And, man, if you listen to Aretha Franklin record, man, you're going to cry. Mm-hmm. Not because she's dead. She always had that effect on you, like, if you listen to her record. Mm-hmm. She just, man, the way her voice was, the way she knew how to do that shit. Just, boom, just knew how to touch your emotion. Mm-hmm. But that was different. She was singing from, you know, her heart. She was singing from diaphragm. Artists mm-hmm. today are singing from their PayPal account. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, seriously. Like, when I hear the Post Malones or who are, you know, all these dudes... I don't hear any pain in their records. Even if they're talking about, yeah, I was struggling. Trying, shut the fuck up. I don't even hear, I don't even hear it in your voice. Mm-hmm. I don't hear the pain. Mm-hmm. I don't hear the struggle. You're just saying something. Right. You see what I'm saying? There's a, there's a big difference, I think, that people are desensitized to because they don't even remember when artists did that. I think I think that's true, but you can also hear when someone's lying through their teeth, you know. And I think a lot of these artists. Oh, a lot of them are lying. I mean, it's just fantasy. Yeah. I mean, everyone's rich. Mm-hmm. It's like these uh these ads I see where everyone's like, "Hey, you want to make money? You can start your own business." But let's be real here: if everybody did it, then who's gonna? <laughs> where where are the other people gonna be? Mm-hmm. If everybody. If everybody's selling something, then, I mean, no one's really buying. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's just this, I don't know, man. The, the, the It's just going to get worse before it gets better. But at the same time, I think maybe it'll force hip-hop to go back to its roots. Mm-hmm. Because we used to be anti-government, anti-establishment, going against, you know, telling the truth about what's going on out here. Now it's ignoring it and let's pop bottles while they're killing us in the street. 
Mm-hmm. How's that reflecting to what's going on out here? Yeah. What happened to that music? Like, you go back as far as even the 40s. Listen to what all they're talking about. Listen to Neil Simone when they're all talking about strange fruit hanging from the trees. And you just, you know, some people didn't even stop thinking about what she's actually singing about. Right. Like, what happened to that? What happened to, what happened to people when they were singing songs and then when you're like, oh, they're singing a song about this. What are they really talking about? See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Nowadays, it's just, I don't know, man. And I love hip-hop, man. But lately, I, I'm not going to lie, for the last... Especially the last three maybe years, I've just been really burnt out on it. This last year, this year alone, I don't even care to hear any of it. Mm. Because I'm not hearing anything that's just new. It's totally now corporate. And it's all, like Tretch would say, if you watch their videos and turn the volume down, it looks like one long video. Hmm. It looks like one long music video. You can't tell when the next one started, when the next one stopped. You know, it's no longer. There's, there's the shock. Like even with me, I haven't even been making music videos in the last year or two, just because. For what? You know what I mean? We already know that this is staged, and this is there's no creative. You know what I mean? I, before I make another music video, I feel like I'd rather make a movie. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Because I've done so many of them. I'm like, all right, yeah, that's cool, music videos, huh? Uh, I'd rather make a movie. And some of the budgets these guys are spending on videos still today, like you could have shot a movie. Mm-hmm. And then, But once I saw Takashi 6 9 eating the fucking cupcake or, or yeah. licking the cup, whatever he was doing, Mm-hmm. I I couldn't, man. I'm even convinced that somehow they convinced him to do his hair like that to match this whole rainbow agenda. Because I know when you first saw him, that that had to be what you were thinking. That he was a fat. <laughs> it had to be. Because <laughs> that's the first thing I thought. Like, Not for me. Oh, he, I mean, is he the first gay rapper? I'm, He's got a rainbow uh, hair? No, I don't. I don't think that. And the only reason why is because I kind of I live that, that, that in-between. You know, I'm a young guy, but I do a lot of I, I I speak to a lot of elders and whatever. But I I'm the type of consumer that likes to watch video games. You know, has anime influences. You talked about you like grew up yeah. on Star Wars and comics and and horror industry. It it is a what he's doing is a product of this Asian influence. You know, the commercialization of America being bought out by China. It's a lot of things. You know. I don't really think it has anything to do with sex, man. No, I'm just saying when I first seen him with the rainbow mm-hmm. hair. Yeah. Well, that's me. Yeah, yeah. And he and he was coming out during the rain this rainbow movement. It was like, uh, okay. And then when I seen him eating the ice oh, cream cone, or licking the ice saying. cream cone or whatever, I'm like, uh, I see okay. This and then you worked. saw that one rapper that had the dress on, the wedding dress, sucking on the fucking. M16, all the, the gay rapper yeah. doing that shit. Now they like to call themselves weirdos. No, you're just gay. Yeah. Just say you're gay. You're not a weirdo. You're just gay. And then you have these. It's just, it, the shit is like, which is okay. It, you know, hey, whatever. Uh, but I'm just saying, I just see it different because I know this is being pushed from the industry. Yeah. So before they picked Rainbow Hair Dude. They passed over super talented dude over here, 
this girl over here, this person, to put that out. Well, he's not. Do, he's do, you, do you get what I'm saying? He's he. Well, while he says a lot of things that sound threatening, he's non-threatening in the fact that he's you know they they started with riffraff. After riffraff, they put in stitches, and now they yeah. Well, riffraff is basically the prototype to Takashi. Yeah. To me. Mm-hmm. They're almost like the same thing. Like when I first heard Riff Rap, I was like, okay, this is a joke. Yeah, but he's actually serious. But he was, but he's serious, but he also is joking. Mm-hmm. And he's, but I looked at it like, okay, I get it. And he's just going to be this, he's like a flavor flay, basically. Mm-hmm. He's trying to be this character, mm. which it works. So to me, Takashi 69 is really jacking his swag which both of them are jacking lady gaga to me <laughs> like yeah. just you know what i mean so but then there are these offshoots you know like a little dicky or, or a little windex who are yeah, actually little dicky his thing is like i'm joking but i'm coming off hella nerdy yeah he's i mean he's he's he joking rap. because he's yeah. joking about the the scene you know he's yeah joking like little dicky is not really a little you know he's not a little. You know what I mean? He's, yeah. He's he's joking about like the epidemic of littles. Yeah. And then there's also like Little Windex, which is the Canadian rapper that looks like he put a mop on top of his head. Yeah. As soon as I saw his name, Little Windex, I really couldn't. I just didn't. You know what I mean? <laughs> but like I said, uh, I've just been through these different eras, and so I'm just not really that impressed. I think the last person I was impressed by rap wise mm-hmm. was uh fuck, I don't forgot his name that fast. The dude it was Joyner Lucas. You think that he was in like uh, he's not really Joyner Lucas is hip hop. No, but that's what I'm saying. But the last person I was impressed by as artist as an artist oh, oh, okay. was him because yeah. he was super talented and the way he did his music videos and everything, that was hella fucking creative. Mm-hmm. And I was like, see now that is dope. He got kicked out of the system, though. Exactly. He, he's dope because he tried to go against logic, right? Well, he was being backed by the guys out of South Florida and the, the guys out of South uh, Southern California. But then he wanted to do it too different and not enough like Denzel Curry. He didn't, he didn't want to be the go-along, get-along. Mm-hmm. He started doing songs that were kind of like... Okay, you you trying to wake people up. We don't need you doing that. We need you back on this dumb shit. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm saying. So there's about, there's that. And so when you look at most side. rappers today that are hella popular, besides my song and them, mm-hmm. like they're the go along, get along. What about the emo side of hip hop? Like the the little peeps or the the uh, oh my god, the guy who wrote for Drake. Um. Those type of artists, the weekend. I started hearing about a lot of those artists because you know we did a dubstep remix yeah. uh, record with DJ Exceed, and that's what got me into Canada actually. Mm. And uh, and during that run, I was doing that EDM stuff, and I was you know hitting up that market. Yeah. But again, it started to be where, oh, what you're doing that's dope. So we need to get some white rappers doing that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then I just watched it as it became kind of like that. Like, okay, they're going to, because they, you know, I think they feel like that's their lane. 
You know what I mean? Mm. So they're like, oh, we're going to do this. We don't need you doing it. And it's like, okay, whatever. You know what I mean? Um, but again, you know, I know you always ask me about a lot of records. Have I listened? I really haven't. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, I listen to, really to the Pusher T and I listen to... I'm really I, didn't ask- listen to, I didn't listen to Pusha T's whole album. I just listened to that one song he had, Diss and Drake. I'm really asking you because uh, I want to see what sounds you're hearing, you know, and what can be expected in new releases or, like, what what you are listening to, whether it's I really like- think right now they're doing, like, short... They're, they're just guessing. They, they don't mm-hmm. even know. It's Because it, it's, it's at a level right now where it's, like, again... You have all these great hip hop uh, artists that have been pushed to the background, but if you bring them forward and let them do a record and really hear it, you'll be like, "Yo, why are we not? Li- well, we don't want you listening to this because we have an agenda." Have you have you heard what uh, Taylor Swift's doing? No. So she's not rapping, is she? Well, she did that a little bit on this last album, but oh, what? Yeah. What what's different and what why I bring this up is she's at that level where everything, society, the whole world is completely alien to her. You know what I mean? What she's doing is, you know, moving, doing her best, I would imagine, to go and do normal things. So, like, if you're listening in a car, she's trying to produce music that has the feeling of driving a car. You know, it sounds so, so dumb to talk about it this way, but that's what music needs to be. There needs to be a feeling. Uh, a, a... Well, what I was going to say before is, where's all the artists representing the guy that catches the bus? Right. Because everybody's rich. Yeah. Everybody's rich. Everybody's got a bag. Everybody's making a stack. Everybody, But that's not true. Mm-hmm. Where's the guy, where's the people representing the guy or the girl that catches the bus to work every morning? Because they Mm -hmm. got real bills to pay. They've had real life experiences happen to them where they've been really shut out and shut down. And they're trying to come back, but they keep getting knocked down. And where's that? Mm -hmm. Where You know what I'm saying? Where's the, the guy that's just met a girl that he's just really happily in love with her? He doesn't need all the bad bitches. He doesn't need the foreign bitch. He doesn't need the fucking, you know what I'm saying? It's just like this. And so what I see the industry doing is they're skipping over those artists that are representing that. Nashville doesn't want to hear and that. They're, and, they're, and they're pushing these because they're trying to sell products. What you just I, talked I about. Think, I think people the... want to hear it. I think people want to hear it, but you're not even giving. It's like walking in Baskin Robbins mm-hmm. and you never knew what chocolate tastes like. Yep. And they they're pushing everything else, and you go, but what? Why are y'all? Why why did y'all? Why y'all keep the chocolate in the back freezer and not mm-hmm. bring it out? Like, oh let us taste gosh. that. That's really what we want. Yeah. I mean, we'll we'll deal with all these too, but what we mm-hmm. really want is that double chocolate fudge almond mocha back there. Mm-hmm. But you won't even. You're, you're trying to shut that out for a reason. But they want to because say you that. Ha- because because when we buy vanilla ice cream and Tropicana and all this whatever that coconut blah 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 and. I'm not just trying to name white ice creams, but they just keep coming to mind. Uh, all these other ice creams, right? Mocha, strawberry, sherbet, blah, 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 whatever. 
Yeah. Everything but the double chocolate fudge almond mocha, right? Mm -hmm. Because when you buy all these other ones, it makes you want to go buy a BMW. You want to go spend money. You want to go mm. on trips. And, you know, they've somehow done this, you know, these statistics to find that out, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If we do this, y'all won't buy as much because y'all will be content with what you have. If we really push love songs, if we really push love songs, mm. people will be content with what they have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You won't want more. You you won't you won't feel like oh I gotta go buy that new car. Because yeah, the, problem... the real love song the real love song is gonna make me just appreciate what I have. So now I'm not consuming as much. But if I push this consumer song that I gotta have this in order to feel good, mm -hmm. the girl the girl the girls are hearing songs about big butts and songs. That's why they're out here getting ass shots. Because mm -hmm. society is showing like if you have a big ass you get to go to Dubai and you can have a fun time and you have a better life. More people like you. Mm -hmm. So now you're taking these risks. The makeup industry, car industries, drug yeah. industries, all of them are all invested into, hey, man, you need more songs about this. Like, how can we have a thing about drugs? But most of the songs you hear on the radio, they're just blatantly talking about it. Mm -hmm. And then you get mad. Or you start doing the RIPs when someone overdoses. The shit is silly. It's like, it's fucking silly. Mm. You know what I mean? So I just think, again, hip-hop needs to go back underground to where we controlled it a little more than it just being this corporate thing. But it's been handed over to them. They've grabbed it and they've re re remixed the shit and then handed it back to you. And it's based off of, you know, your own social downfalls. Hmm. And you're partying to it. It's like you're partying to your own demise. Mm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it's just the shit is like. So when people say, well, when, "When is it gonna change?" Or well, when they stop doing that kind of bullshit and bring out the real shit. Like there was a show I did one time, you know, and I break out the piano and I'm singing uh, "Dreams of Memory," doing the sad song. They're like, "Why are you doing that?" And I'm like, "Why not? I like sad songs." Mm -hmm. I like when Elton John would do songs like that. I like when Aretha Franklin did songs like that. Or people did it because everyone's not always crunk and happy all the time. There are people that are at the show right now that are sad and just need a good cry inside. How do you have so much musicality? It's crazy, man. It's crazy that you, you, you can talk about these any genre of music. You have, you have that, and maybe because of Austin, but... It's, it's well, I've been around the world. You got to remember, yeah. I lived around the world. So I've seen different cultures. I've seen yeah. different things. And I've seen different tastes in music and allowed myself to 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 experience them. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not going to bump any country music. Yeah, but you but know. I, I have one. I have a I have like a country rapish song. Mm -hmm. I haven't released it yet, but I have it. And that's not just something I'm saying. Like, I have friends that come over like, You've been seeing me on the guitar with the acoustics. Like I'm learning it to, so that I can perform the song one day. And everyone that's heard the song is like, yo, mm -hmm. that shit is fucking dope. It's already recorded, mm -hmm. but now I have to be able to do it live on stage. And I have, to, I have to practice it to a point that I can do it. I was wanting to do it at this show, but mm. it would just be too much. But again, my point about it is I've allowed myself to consume music. Like when I was first here in Texas... Most people I came across only listened to DJ Screw. Mm -hmm. And if you tried to play any other genre of hip-hop, they didn't want to hear it. Mm -hmm. 
any other genre of music. They didn't want to hear it. They just wanted to hear DJ Screw. That's it. Mm -hmm. And so those same people today, I feel like they missed out on having music taste. So when they try to tell me about music, I just look at them funny. I'm like, you were in the DJ Screw for the longest. Nothing wrong with that. But I'm just saying you didn't give yourself enough time to taste test all this other music because you mm -hmm. were so one-sided that you're just now waking up to different ideas and sounds. But you can't have that conversation with me. You know what I mean? Mm. You're not going to convince me you know what you're talking about. Like, no. Mm -hmm. But again, like what I was saying is I don't bump any country music, but I know the difference between good country music and bad country music. Mm -hmm. I'm not really, I'm not even really around the house every day blasting heavy metal. Mm -hmm. But I know the difference. Mm. Um, what I'm doing is I'm just doing me I've done, I've, I'm doing it so much and I know it sounds narcissistic in itself but I don't really listen to a whole lot of other stuff because I'm so busy creating my own sound my own thing that I just don't really have time for it it's like do you... I, don't, I don't get inspired I don't get inspired by those things I get inspired very few and far you know what I get inspired by mostly mm. is real life shit the lady that almost got hit by the car you right, know, or some right, shit or right, right, or right. the triumphant you know person that overcame this that this guy that just got released out of prison because he was locked up 20 years and he was innocent like i'm just like mm -hmm. fuck you know what i mean like shit like that why do you think that the the we have puerto rican music that comes out is very americanized uh however the uh, like Hawaiian music that we hear is way, way different. Uh, I really couldn't speak on it because I haven't even listened to it really. Okay. But again, I'm pretty sure it's because there's some dude somewhere in a record label that's deciding that. Said no Hawaiian music, no. Yeah, yeah. But Puerto Rican music, music, yep, can have that. Yeah, exactly. Because he's in the power position to do when, when i met most of the people in the industry that make these decisions they're not even actually of the culture at all they mm. know nothing about it it's just based off of what they think hmm. what they feel that's uh, why the puff daddies and people like that were able to win because he was part of the culture so he knew what was going to hit and what wasn't so when everybody else is like that puff daddy how is he doing it well he's part of the culture mm. that's why <laughs> This culture he, know, he, he he lives it. You don't live it. You're going to go home with your wife and your kids and you're going to do boring shit. Mm -hmm. You're not out here like that. You're not out here to know what's really hip and what's not and what's, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I said, look at back in the 80s, or not the 80s, I went back too far, 90s. Look at the way everyone was dressed. Look at the clothes. Look at the entrepreneurship back then. Now look at it now. Where to go? Yeah, we're all now we're we're claiming hip hop, but we're wearing European clothes and fashion. We're letting mm -hmm. European fashion dictate hip hop. Mm -hmm. What did I say the other day? I said I saw those dudes they were sitting in the street, looking homeless. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what was his name? Lil what? Uh, Lil Pump. Lil Pump and Malone, right? Post Malone. Yeah. There was a mm -hmm. picture of them. They're sitting down. They're just like looking like straight fucking bums. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. 
this is crazy because they're making money. They're probably the, some of the highest paid rappers in the game right now, mm -hmm. making all that money, but looking like bums. Yeah. While we're out here, everyone else is out here trying to dip in $800 Versace shirts and shit just to look like they're the, they're the man. While this dude over here, they don't even give a fuck. Look how he's dressed. He's dressed like a bum. I'm saying, mm -hmm. and that's not even hip hop fashion. That's like some other shit they're trying to create. Right. That's some other shit they're trying to create. You know, um, how many rappers do you see just pushing their own merchandise, their own brands anymore? Like, really, Rock Aware was the last time you really seen some shit like that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm hmm. Where did all that go? Oh, uh, the acclamation of what Kanye's doing. Well, yeah, they got, I mean, they got bought out and shelved so that they could push that shit they're trying to push. Mm hmm Anyway, so let's get back to the show that's on August 24th, August Friday 24th, night. Friday, August 24th, at Come and Take It Live, all ages. Um, door price? Door is $10. Online and we we went back and forth about it being ten or twenty, but the real consensus of people in Austin is they're broke. Mm -hmm. So ten dollars just to make it cool. Plus we knew school, you know, school starting back. Parents have already spent money on that. Ten dollars advanced tickets. Um, uh, it's still ten dollars. Ten dollars. Yeah. So we just now um they're just now putting up a new link because we kind of switched up the promotion because like we like I said George wasn't really promoting itself mm -hmm. so we were gonna leave the dirty worms as a surprise mm -hmm. and i just had to make a promoting call like you know hey i'm gonna have to promote dirty worms to get ticket sales mm -hmm. going back and get some excitement back because you're not even promoting yourself so i'm gonna go ahead and promote that yeah i'm bringing dirty worms you know what i mean and then it, it kind of resurging the the thing up again so mm -hmm. we'll see. Should be a good. Should be a good turnout. Good show. We haven't done that in five years, so I know people feel like we haven't done it in fifteen, but it's only been five years. It was right as my mom passed, two thousand thirteen. Our last show as a full, the full group was that year. I think like in October. Mm -hmm. And um, we haven't really performed the as the full group. All the members. You always usually see me, me, Crash, and Swift still doing it, mm -hmm. and we still carry the Dirty Worm name, but you haven't seen it with the guitar player and the bass player and mm -hmm. Doc. So that's what people will be seeing right now, bringing that back. So I know a lot of fans are excited about that. I'm excited about it. It's cool. It's been a, it's been five years since we've done it. So, and what, you know what really feels good about it too is just the responses and the inboxes and messages I'm getting from people that are like, they thought they'd never see that again. And how, just how much, like I said, we've been doing this so long, it's like, that we can just come back and announce that two weeks before it happens. Mm -hmm. And getting the response is getting. And we've always been the type of group to put on our own shows, our own thing. And uh, so that, that feels good. And George, I just hope he comes with it because I'm going to bring it to his ass, boy. 
Hmm. Um, and just on some, you know, like I said, it's no beef or nothing. It's just hip hop. It's like, call me out like that. We're going to have to battle. Yep. I think I said to him, I challenge you to a duel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think that's very hip hop. That's bringing that element back of like, we ain't going to fight about it. I'm not going to make diss records at you. Let's take it back to the old school. Bring that shit to the stage. Let me see. Let's see you get down and do it live. Let's see really how thorough you are. Let's put a microscope on this. You know, can you really spit live? Can you mm -hmm. really get down? Yep. Let's hear your music loud. Now, you know, usually you could take a whack record and put that motherfucker up loud, and motherfuckers might be into it, you know, because it's a little louder. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Not to say that his whack, I'm just saying in general. Like, whenever I think, whenever I used to think of when I'm recording, I would be listening to the record and I would turn to my friend Ike and I would say, now imagine this le this record loud as fuck. Yep. And he would be like, man, that's going to kill him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I say, exactly. So that's how we would judge a lot of those records. So that's why I tell artists, I'm like, all right, listen to that record. Now imagine that record being played loud as fuck. Mm -hmm. And some of those records would have too much going on. I said, now you hear how you got too much shit going on in there? Take some of that shit out because less is better. No, I mean, I want all that. I was like, I'm trying to tell you, less is better. It needs mm -hmm. to sound clean. Like, you got to know when too much if something is too much in there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so we'll see. But like you were saying, there's a little stretch. But he's he's the underdog. I always root for the underdog. Mm -hmm. You know, um, of course, the way I'm looking at the battle is I think if I were him, I'd be crazy to go against me. But that's just how I feel. So I might be kind of biased. Yeah, that was actually like a little joke too. I don't take myself that serious, but you know, I felt like I had to defend my brand because you can't just come out and say shit like that. Because if I let that fly, you see how already the Austin scene kind of is. Like people make claims. Mm. I'm the best. We're the best. Nobody's better than us. And I'm not even claiming to be that or nothing. The people gave me that. All I'm saying is, oh, you're saying you. you you're du you dusted me or you're better than me. Well, mm -hmm. then let's battle. Mm -hmm. Let's let the people see it. And at this show, it's not even a matter of judges being out there going, okay, I think so-and-so won. I think, because like I've said before, I've seen boxing matches. And yep. Mayweather-McGregor comes to mind all the time. Mm -hmm. And if you ask most people, you won't really get a one-sided answer. Nope. They'll all tell you, no, I think McGregor did. Yep. When clearly he got his ass whooped. Mm -hmm. Like, clearly he was getting his ass whooped through the whole thing. Yep. It's like, what fight were you watching? Mm -hmm. So what I realized is people really don't, people are still going to want to believe what they want to believe. So go ahead and believe what you want to believe. But the real person that likes the truth or the person that just wants to see a good performance, they'll be able to look at it and go, okay, George, uh, but Smack came in. Yes, yeah, I think Smack got that one. Or there might be some people going, man, I think George got it, man, because, you know, they're rooting for him. So you won too. No mm -hmm. one, there's no loser really. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just trying to bring back that element of the battle of like, let's battle it out on stage. Yep. And uh, let the people decide. Um, and that's it. And it's just good entertainment. I don't wish any ill will on them or nothing. I did clown the fuck out of them, but that's who I am. Like people that know me know I'll clown your ass. Like, you know what I mean? But, I didn't bring anyone into it unnecessarily. I didn't do all that extra shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It was just it was just at him and just jokingly and just 
entertainment that built it up for what it was, but then it kind of lost its steam somewhere, I think just because he wasn't really promoting himself. That's the consensus I've been getting back is he hasn't been promoting himself, so it makes people feel like, well, I'm not even that interested because it already looks like a one-sided fight because he's going to go against you, okay, he's going to lose. Okay, he's the underdog. Mm -hmm. But the fact that he's just not promoting himself as just an artist, period. Mm -hmm. Like, take away the battle. He's not even promoting himself as an artist on a regular. Right. So it makes it like it, there, there's nothing there. There's there's no interest. Mm -hmm. So hopefully, I don't know, he'll start to promote. But that might be part of his, his, his uh, scheme, even though I don't think it's a good one. But mm. shit, if he comes in there with the red hot chili peppers trying to blow me out the water, man, kudos to him, man. Shit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like he might show up doing some shit like that. Mm -hmm. Uh. I don't know, but know this, I'm going to go hard because I've been in this game more than 20 years. We've been doing this. We've built this brand, blood, sweat, and tears, and uh, we're going to have fun. But I'm also very serious about the shit to where, you know, hey, I got to defend it. And I feel honored to come in and defend it. And then to just, like he said in his own words, he wanted me to reach in my bag <laughs> Mm -hmm. to pull out my best show or whatever and i'm just like so when i do reach in my bag and you know i'm gonna pull out the dirty worms out my bag like what are you gonna do yeah you know so i don't i don't know but uh i hope it's uh i hope he has a good performance i hope he brings his best but i'm still knocking the fuck out yeah. i know that um and if he knocks me out then shit i mean hey I doubt it, but you never know. Like you know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to assume like I just got it locked in. Mm -hmm. But what I what I am gonna lock in is what the fuck I'ma do. Right. And I know that I have a catalog of music. I can't say I've heard a catalog of music from him to feel like whatever, but shit. If this would have been it I remember when Master P blew up and I remember Master P handed me a fucking tape at UC Davis in California and if you would have ever told me that dude two years later would have been one of the biggest rappers in the world dude I would have bet my life on it and I would have died <laughs> you know what mm -hmm. I mean I would have been like that whack mother shit there's no way mm. in hell somebody's gonna give him 30 million dollars right and boom mm. I was like what ate my words dude I was like what mm. and that's when I learned that that's when I learned that in the industry like when them tables turn boy some motherfuckers like shh, they could turn around on your ass, hmm. and the person you think is hella whack would be on top like a motherfucker. And we see that going on today. Hmm. You know, I I I never thought Master P was a solid rapper. I thought he was very sloppy. You know, business great businessman, mm -hmm. but I thought as far as rap skill, come on. I mean, if you ask the average person, no one really probably thought Master P was just. A superb rapper. Right, it always yeah. sounded like he was struggling. Mm -hmm. But when them when them hooks and them beats kicked in, I mean, it's what it was. But it was also his marketing. I think that's what really did it was the marketing that they mm -hmm. were bringing. You know, he changed the game with that. So, uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say about the battle, or I, I, don't, I don't really know. I mean, it could be anybody going against us. I would say the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um. 
Well, I look forward to it. And I and I am going to break the show down to where I do a set, mm-hmm. and then I bring out the worms. Nice. That way, okay. it, you know, because I was, I if I did it straight from the top, everybody would go, oh, you kind of cheated because you just came straight out doing that. But I'm going to break it down. I'm going to come out, do my thing, and then in the middle of the show, I'm going to bring them out. So. Yeah, it sounds and like then it, we're gonna fucking kill it. So sounds it's like it's gonna be, be an amazing show. I look forward to seeing how it goes. That's sure. uh, gonna be a come and take it live on August twenty fourth, Friday. Next Friday. Doors yeah. open at eight. What time? Do doors yep, open. Show start. Doors open at eight. Show starts at nine. Show starts at nine. Um, and also, uh, Tone Bagante, he's supposed to be opening up. He's gonna open up. Yeah, he's gonna be one of the openers. Um, Interesting. Yeah, so we wanted a lot of kind of the stuff to just be a surprise. Like, you know, people show up and don't expect certain things. Nice. I'll throw that out there. Dope. But, uh, yeah, man. Awesome. Is there uh, is there any new releases, any new singles going to be released? Not no time soon. I was supposed to release a solo single, which I still might do, but I'm mm-hmm. letting all this get passed because it's like it's too much. After you know this I mean? is done. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to concentrate on this now and then. I gotta concentrate on the post afterness of it all too, and then so maybe September, mm-hmm. late September, I'll release a a single. Where can people find you on social media? Your music. Social media on my Instagram, you can find me at Dirty Worms. That's with a Z. Um, that's pretty much all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Facebook Dirty Worms, or you can find me at Smackola mm-hmm. of Dirty Worms. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just go to Dirty Worms, DirtyWorms.net, our website. You can order mm-hmm. T-shirts, merchandise. We'll have, we'll have merchandise at the shows, and it'd be a good thing, man. Bring everybody out. It's all ages, so and a lot of kids don't get to go to concerts, and yeah, that's why we do some of those. Awesome. I appreciate you coming on the show. I think we man, thanks a, for having me, man. We had we talked about a lot of things. I think we covered everything. I don't think we missed out on anything. Uh, probably not. Well, we probably did, but there's a couple things maybe. Everything. I'm sure it'll come to mind after after <laughs> we wrap up the show. But I appreciate you coming on. I look forward to having on having you on again for whenever you get another release or what's going on or any type of promos that you got coming on. I'd definitely like to be a, a get the exclusive on those. For uh, sure, for sure. And uh, I look sure forward enough. to seeing the show and what's going on. See you there. All right, appreciate you. All right, man. Like, take it easy. All right, y'all. That was a great episode of Live from the ATX Season 2 episode. Oh, my gosh. I keep on forgetting what episode is. Episode 13. And that was Smack Ola of the Dirty Worms. The episode part 2 where we kind of covered all the stuff that we forgotten or we lost on the last episode of this. Uh, On the outro here, I'm going to play another song by the Dirty Worms. Uh two of their favorite selected SoundCloud plays. Yeah. And uh, and see you guys August 24th. Doors open a bit. 8 o'clock. $10 ticket prices at, at Come and Ticket Live. It's going to be the full cast and crew of the Dirty Worms. And I hope you guys have an amazing time. We'll be back live again on all the channels for the uh, double feature that we're having today with Be The One later on tonight. All right, peace.
chop them up and leave them amputated Fuck around with the worm and get evaporated So come in class with the Titans Smash with the Vikings, I'm raw If you ain't coming hard, don't come at all Cause it's that real deal, real shit The type of lyrics that motherfuckers get killed with I'm real sick, I'm a lunatic Bringing out nothing but pure evil When this beat get the clapping like a 44 Desert Eagle I'm a live wire It's that dirty worm bomb rider Creeping through the night like a nail kind of sand spider What? Well now I'm back in the battleground Back in the zone to cut them hounds Running up with both guns drawn Soon as I put these gloves on You already know that it's on I'm on a double when the shovel Hit the back of your dome You can tell by my tone Type of shit that I'm on That I'm still putting it down Representing the home Of the Longhorns Burnt Orange ATX And if you flexing Then I suggest you invest In more protection Cause we taking out your whole section Every direction And let the shell Start ejecting at the next election Hey Mr. President It's everything that you've been lying to us ever since And I'm convinced that you meant for the world To sit back and take witness While you handle up on your daddy's unfinished business This is the realest shit you heard So whatever you do Just let your next move be your best move, fool